Is it getting a little better back east? Yes. I think the weather, the government has not been telling us how bad the weather is back east. Uh, I saw an ad in the classified section of the New York Times today. It said, please contact. contact. <laughs> well, it's very small print in those ads, Jeffrey. Please contact box 234 if you have any information about a city named Buffalo. It was in the New York Times today. <laughs> Should have all the snow in Buffalo trucked to California. <laughs> Did you see on the news the other night they were actually loading snow aboard train trains and heading them and south. carrying yeah. and carrying it south to melt for to melt. <laughs> yes. Now that's kind of sad, isn't it? <laughs> California would love to have snow out here because we have a drought out here. If you could raise the temperature in Buffalo and melt the snow by asking Congress to meet there and speak. It's the best source of hot air I know of. This business of how we perceive the reality of racism in America depends in large measure on who we are, where we live, how much money we earn, and, of course, whether we are white or black. About five months ago, something happened in Buffalo, New York. It was a traffic accident, which made some news for reasons you'll understand in a few minutes. I may have been aware of the incident at the time, but if I was, it didn't really register. I may have read about it in the paper and then almost immediately forgot about it. Several of my black colleagues here at ABC heard about the incident and were outraged. This, they argued, was a clear example of the sort of insidious racism that white people rarely notice and almost never acknowledge. Early this spring, with the last vestiges of a hard buffalo winter still visible in occasional piles of gray ice, I flew up to Buffalo to look into a traffic accident. How much you love roses? Rocky Rose here. Which brings us to Cynthia Wiggins. Cynthia was only 17 when she was hit and killed by a truck last December. What are you doing, huh? Now that just makes her one statistic among tens of thousands of other traffic fatalities last year. What else can we tell you about Cynthia? She was an unwed mother, attended school sporadically, and she died after a truck ran over her. But people do not agree on why she was killed. Cynthia, you see, was African-American. It's racist. And that's what caused her death. It's racism. 1996, racism is still alive. I don't know if you can call that anything except racism. Within Buffalo's white community, you'll find just as many people just as sure that race had absolutely nothing to do with Cynthia's death. I think it's, to be honest with you, utterly ridiculous that racism is even brought into a situation such as this. Race is the excuse for everything these days. And anything that, that happens that's bad, it seems like that's the excuse. There have been many cases, many things that happen in our society where automatically racism is thrown out that it's got to be racism, it's got to be racism without any proof. Well, that's crying wolf. Remember now, we're talking about a traffic accident. No one has charged that Cynthia Wiggins was run down deliberately. No one has even suggested that she was killed intentionally because of her race. 
So why do feelings run so high? Why is there such a difference of opinion clearly split along racial lines? Part of the answer may flow directly out of the fact that Cynthia Wiggins was not really all that extraordinary. She was, in so many ways, a typical teenager with perhaps a few more problems than her family and friends like to remember. Cows, Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast. Before we start, the victims <clears throat> of the May 14 massacre at the East Buffalo Tops Grocery Store, Catherine Massey, Haywood Patterson, Pearl Young, Celestine Cheney, Andrew McNeil, Roberta Drury, Ruth Whitfield, Aaron Salter, Margus Morrison, Geraldine Talley. Again, all of our focus on Buffalo to make sure that we do not forget. Oh, yeah. There was a white race soldier who went to East Buffalo, New York, specifically, deliberately, to kill as many black people as possible all of this attention on West New York again is about understanding now why did that happen context of white supremacy we are the syllabus I will say that proudly we're just adding to it today but I mean we are the syllabus so just since May 14 we have had Anna Blatto as a guest on the program. We talked about her research on so-called segregation and the history of Buffalo. Uh, next, we had Matt Greida on the program, journalist 50 years at the Buffalo News. Uh, we had Frank E. Dobson, Jr., Buffalo native, on the program uh, just last week. Talked about his book, Rendered Invisible. Uh, we had Dr. Sean Lay as a guest on the program. Talked about his book, Hooded Nights on the Niagara, uh, the Ku Klux Klan in Buffalo, New York. We have our book club on Catherine Pellinero, Absolute Madness. Uh, we're about halfway through the text. Quite a bit of reading to go, but hopefully that's been informative. And then our broadcast for today. Again, I can stand by my work. We are the syllabus on the shooting May 14, East Buffalo. Our work for today Again, I've been encouraging uh, non-white people, victims of racism, go to the university libraries. In fact, that's even covered in the text today. Sometimes they put the university library in a place where it might be difficult for black people, non-white people to easily access that information for jobs, research, whatever. Anyway, go to the university library. Since the shooting, hey, I don't really know a lot of information about Buffalo. Let's understand why this happened. Or Conklin, leave them out. 
Uh, so I went to Buffalo, or excuse me, went to the University of Washington Library. Lo and behold, they have a whole section just on Buffalo, New York. Who knew? I start rifling through. What do I find? What do I find? One of the books that I locate. Race, Neighborhoods, and Community Power, Buffalo Politics, 1934 to 1997. Wow, that is amazing. This book has lots of information to help you get a great understanding. Now, how exactly did a white race soldier target East Buffalo to say, I want to kill as many black people as possible? How did he pick this area? This book will give you a lot of information, unless I misread. Now, the little tacky introduction before we get to our guest. Again, sometimes it's too much information for me to explain everything. I'll leave him to explain why Johnny Carson was there, if you need that detailed or not. Uh, Cynthia Wiggins. I didn't know anything about Cynthia Wiggins. He starts and ends this here book with Cynthia Wiggins. Now I'm going to read a report, but before I do, man, oh man, Ted Koppel, that was a disgraceful display of white supremacy racism. In my view, no suspect, no suspect, no nothing. Did you hear how he, Ted Koppel, who is still alive at 82, did you hear how that white man talked about a 17-year-old who was killed, ran over by a dump truck. Well, you know, she didn't attend school very much. Spotty attendance record. More problems than her family cares to remember. Unwed teen mother. Are you see? She was so not extraordinary in so many ways. Are you serious? That right there is exactly why I have been saying, what is it? Gus T. Renegade, worthless Negro from Virginia. Now, why would I self-reference like that? The book on the lynching of Zachariah Walker, that is exactly how he was described after being lynched and castrated. They printed in the Pennsylvania newspaper, worthless Negro from Virginia. Yeah, maybe he shouldn't have been lynched and castrated and all the rest, but you know, he was a worthless Negro from Virginia. We all can agree to that. Yes. Okay. And I said, you see this all the time. It'll be a black person who's been killed, unjust circumstances, suspicious circumstances, sometimes a child. It'll be well, dirty fingernails and missed 15 days of school and kindergarten. Pants were wrinkled. <laughs> like, are you serious? Yes. That is absolutely disgraceful, and that sort of treatment generally is reserved for individuals classified as black. Heard you, Ted Koppel. That was from Nightline many years gone by, the 90s. Now, Cynthia Wiggins from the Globe and Mail, February 7, 1996, living on the frayed edges of urban racism. Some people love the edge city. Others revile it. All sides agree, however, that this coarse-grained landscape of house farms, office parks, and mini malls is unfinished. It needs history and it needs monuments to make the accretion of its stories visible. 
Chictagua, New York, is a classic edge city that has prospered despite the obvious debility of Buffalo, the mother city it borders, and because of the traffic accident that killed Cynthia Wiggins of Buffalo, it now has a story worthy of a monument. Cynthia Wiggins was struck and killed by a truck on December 14 while crossing Walden Avenue on her way to work at the Walden Galleria Mall in Chictagua. She was 17, a single mother, black, and she worked in the food court. She commuted across the color and class bar that separates downtown Buffalo from its suburbs on the number six bus of the Niagara Frontier Transportation Authority. But the number six bus doesn't stop at the Walden Galleria. Transit officials had proposed such a stop in 1988, but they say the mall's owner, Pyramid Kaz of Syracuse, New York, flatly refused to accommodate it. Pyramid was willing to provide stops for buses from nearby suburbs, but specifically ruled out a stop from the bus from Buffalo's Sycamore Street. So Cynthia Wiggins and so many like her, the mainly black Buffaloians like those killed last or in May, who worked McJobs at the mall, disembarked on the far side of Seven Lane Walden Avenue, crossed without the aid of sidewalks or a traffic light and walked 275 meters through a parking lot to work. She was hit by a dump truck, but no one in Buffalo is fooled about the real cause of her death. This is a divided city whose suburbs refuse to welcome an extension of the inner city's light rail system, where barroom talk refers to the proposal as the Burglar Express. Hmm. As many local leaders recognized immediately, Cynthia Wiggins was killed by racism. We will stop there. Our guest for today's broadcast, in addition to writing the book that we will discuss today that starts and ends with Cynthia Wiggins, he is a professor of politics, geography, and international studies at the University of Wisconsin, River Falls. Uh, he is department chair, pre-law advisor, as well as chair of the International Studies Program. Uh, his research is particularly focused on race and politics. Uh, we are tickled uh, to have him on the broadcast, discuss his book, and see if indeed he agrees his book provides a lot of accurate information as to how indeed a white terrorist could select Tops East Buffalo. I want to kill a lot of black people. Where is there a large concentration of black people to kill East Buffalo? Our guest to see if that's accurate, Dr. Neil Krauss. Dr. Krauss, are you with us, sir? Yes. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for sharing a bit of your Sunday, the so-called uh, holiday weekend. Uh, pleasure to talk about your book. We'll get into all of that uh, for our listeners. I'm sure some of them, this is their first time hearing from you. Any information that you'd like to share briefly about who you are and the work that you do? Uh, sure. Just to add a little bit uh, to what you said, I, I uh, teach political science at the University of Wisconsin River Falls and 
I come from upstate New York. I didn't grow up in Buffalo, but I I lived there for three years to do the research and and write the book. I grew up actually down the road in Syracuse, and I moved to the Midwest uh, a little over 20 years ago um, to take the position I have now and have continued to to research uh, cities and and inequality and uh, you know local politics, local public policies, and education, housing, uh, law enforcement mainly. Um, yeah, and uh, and I certainly am still pretty connected to Buffalo, even though I haven't lived there for a while. My my brother and sister-in-law lived there, and I actually just went back there uh, a few weeks ago, ran the Buffalo Marathon. It was great to, to see Buffalo again. So, yeah. Right on. Uh, for folks who have not seen you, uh, Dr. Krauss, you are a white man. Is that correct? I am. I am indeed. Right on. Uh, just going to go to my next question before I pivot. Just, wow, things have been so interconnected. My goodness, the cows, people, anyone who's been listening since the beginning of the year, at least like, wow, our timing is amazing. So Syracuse, you said, are, are you familiar with all that hubbub around uh, Alice Siebold and her wrongful uh, conviction of Anthony Broadwater, black male. That was she was a freshman at Syracuse University. This happened in 1981. Boy, I'm you know I'm vaguely familiar with it. I I couldn't really speak to the details of it, um, but I mean I, I know it's a case that's received a fair amount of attention. Um, as have you know a lot of issues in in Syracuse, which in many ways is kind of just a smaller version of Buffalo. Um, it's a it's a fairly segregated city, and it was a lot bigger 40, 50 years ago than it is today. And uh, uh, a lot of jobs have have left as well. Um, but no, back to your your specific question. I mean, I, I couldn't speak to the that case in particular. Okay. We spent a great deal of time talking about that uh, this year, and Syracuse has come up with all of it dealing with New York State. It's been amazing. Lots of history for Cal's yeah. listeners who reside in the New York area. Like, wow, I keep saying that all the time. Study local history. You can learn so much about white supremacy racism, what it is, how it works. Anywho, uh, all of that said, uh, for all of our programs, uh, I think it's so important. Uh, definitions uh, are critical. And all of our programs, I start out, I use the term racism, white supremacy. I use them as synonyms, and I use the same definition for both terms. The definition that I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that, um, that that definition is, is accurate for sure. I think what you're getting at is that, you know, racism plays out in a, in a variety of ways and a variety of different mechanisms um you know my own my own research and thinking has been mainly about how it plays out in in politics and and political decision making but but certainly across you know across the economy and the housing market and and the school system and and as we all know and see every day practically tragically uh, law enforcement uh all the major institutions of our of our society so no i think that's 
I think your definition is is good. Awesome, awesome. One thing that I, I do want to say for this broadcast, uh, words are critically uh, important, and that's something that I try to point out for our listeners all the time. And uh, the word, or the phrase rather, plays out racism plays out just for our listeners so important uh just play has a connotation of of games and not serious and i'm talking about a power dynamic and even more specific to that (laughs) go right to your book like man the word deliberate is in this here book almost a dozen times and it should be (laughs) but this is not racism plays out this is dedication willful acts by individuals classified as white that is very different phrasing than racism plays out is that okay much obliged Uh, yeah yeah no um no go ahead i'm sorry oh if you did you want to respond to that no no i think i i think you're exactly right and 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 in the book you know i talk uh in I think a fair amount of detail, you know, I was going through it again recently, especially in the last six weeks. And, and, um, you know, there is a considerable amount of detail and, and you're exactly right that, you know, that the, the decisions I talk about were very, very much intentional. Um, and, and, uh, that's really kind of the larger theme of the book that, that we don't, you know, we don't get neighborhoods like the East side of Buffalo that are, that are segregated and, and, and uh, have high rates of poverty. We don't get those neighborhoods just accidentally. Um, that those neighborhoods are uh, essentially constructed uh, over a period of time, and, and political decisions, and, and decisions in the housing market, and decisions that banks make, and insurance companies make, and city councils, and and all the rest of it. So, no, I, I think that's a good point. That um, that there's nothing, you know accidental or random or anything of the sort that it's very much a deliberate a deliberate uh, process context of white supremacy dr neil kraus even leading to things like cynthia wiggins i pointed that out that is no accident in the system of white supremacy uh given what you just said this is a question that i ask all of our white guests that we've had on the program uh do you think it's logical Uh, given system of white supremacy, do you think it's logical for anyone who is not white to be suspicious of anyone who is classified as white, even yourself, as long as the system of white supremacy exists? Um, Okay, I'm sorry. Could you just repeat that again? Are you asking? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you think it's logical? For anyone okay. who is classified or anyone who is not white to be suspicious of anyone who is classified as white, even yourself? Uh, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, given given the history of, you know, well, my book's about the history of Buffalo, but given the history of the United States, I mean, I certainly understand why a considerable amount of suspicion would be you know, it would be part of growing up black in, in the United States today or in Buffalo or, or anywhere. Um, you know, given, again, just given the, the just the basic outlines of American history, I think that that, that sort of reaction is is, uh, is very much 
rational, I think is how you put it, or logical, I should say. Um, given, you know, I mean, there's just been, you know, 400 years worth of oppression and slavery, and well, beginning with slavery, and and uh, and then followed by segregation, and and then basically taking a hundred years after the Civil War to really address what the Civil War was supposed to address. So, yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Right on. Uh, and this is another one, then I'll be pivoting uh, to your book uh, to read some portions of it, see if this matches up to what I said about how this helps us understand what happened in May. Uh, do you see, and this I think is so important, non-white people who are listening to this program, I think should think about this whenever they are processing information about how we understand white supremacy, racism, what to do to solve this problem. Dr. Krauss, have you seen any evidence that would suggest that a significant number of individuals classified as white are going to voluntarily and permanently desist from the practice of white supremacy racism? Boy, that's a great question. Um, you know, I used to, I used to think that, that, uh, maybe, um, enough whites would, would come around on some of the, the big issues regarding race and racism. Um, and in the last several years, I'm, less optimistic along those lines. So, I, you know, to, to speak to your particular question, um, you know, to, to have a large number of whites come around voluntarily, I'm not, I, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people that do a lot of really good research and, and, uh, and writing about racism and, and, you know, how it works and how we think about it and not just what it is, but how to try to overcome it. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen voluntarily. You know, back to your question. I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing process of, of education, uh, education at all levels, not just formal education, but people learning from, you know, in simple ways, learning from people who are different than them, um, and uh, th that happens. That has to happen very much. People have to want that to happen, right? I mean, I think that I think that uh, folks want to that they have to want to learn about those kinds of things, and and learn about the world, you know, in a different way, basically. Um, so maybe some, you know, might do it voluntarily, but I think an awful lot of others are 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 probably not going to do it voluntarily, and it's going to require a lot more effort on all of our part. Mm. Okay, so no evidence uh, that a significant number are going to do this voluntarily uh, and permanently stop racism. When you say some of us need to learn uh, or be educated about this, or maybe do you meaning uh, some individuals classified as white need to learn? They need to get some information in order to stop practicing racism. Yeah, absolutely, hmm. absolutely. I mean, I you know I live not far from uh, Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And we all saw what happened to George Floyd two years ago. And in broad daylight on a very major street in front of a whole lot of witnesses. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of students, a lot of people in the last couple of years about that. And, and it's many of the conversations have been uh, very upsetting, 
a lot of white conversations with a lot of, of white folks that I know one way or another. Um, just to be just to be direct about it, uh, just not necessarily all that bothered or bothered maybe temporarily, and then it kind of went away. Um, so yeah, I think I think that uh, a, a good number of of white folks of different ages and different education levels and different income levels need to, um, you know, think differently, need to want to think differently, need to want to learn. And maybe, I think a lot of those folks do, but, um, you know, maybe, well, not maybe, definitely, I think we need a lot more to, to want to, to be able to see, hey, hey, how did this happen? How did any of this happen? Why did this happen? Right? Why is this still happening? Uh, why, you know, it, it happened in Akron, Ohio in the last, you know, some video was released just today, and I'm sure folks listening are aware of that. And it, things like that keep happening. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think a good number of folks classified as white need to start thinking about a lot of these things differently. Hmm process that i'm sure listeners will have questions that that is very close to a question i've asked uh often so we should be able to get a, a direct answer on this one because you walked me right to it so in your you do research on this you're classified as white you talk to other individuals that are classified as white uh in your view do you think upset war let me give the full context there was an article written by a non-white person because something you said before in my opinion frequently we do not have many people who write constructively accurately about racism, white supremacy. That's one of the big problems. Example, there was a report, a non-white person authored uh, not too long ago. They were talking about racism and they said uh, many white people are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism, but rarely are they pained enough. So, According to your research, I've been asking our white guests for years now, the first portion of that sentence, white people are often greatly and sincerely pained by uh, greatly and sincerely pained by racism. Do you think that a substantial number of individuals classified as white are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism? I think some are, but, but I think I think that as you and I are talking about racism, I think probably not. As I think a lot of whites understand racism, they see it as only discrimination and on an individual sort of level. And I think people, a, a lot of white folks, I think, are, you know, bothered by that, Um bothered by these larger, um, you know, structural issues where racism is sort of just baked into our society. I mean, there's a denial of, of that that's fairly widespread. So I think that, um, you know, I think some might be, some are. Uh, I don't know the number. I know polling is kind of confusing on this because people come to this discussion with their own 
conception of what you know what the term means, uh, and if they if it's reduced to just well, some white folks are not really nice to you know folks who are of different races, um, or I mean that's sort of one you know definition that maybe a lot of whites would and you know cling to I think, or you know a larger sort of definition about you know, that has has to do with history and, and, you know, the structures of our society and so forth and how racism is, is, is part of those structures and really, really, uh, um, you know, reflects 400 years of history, um, then that's different. That's different. I mean, I wasn't trying to give you a long-winded answer there, but I think that, um, you know, I think some are bothered, but again, it, you know, for sure, some are, you know, I forgot the way you put it, but, you know, deeply bothered or something like that. But I think even among those folks, um, you know, th- th- we have to sort of ask them, what, wh- how do you understand racism? Um, because then I think we would get different kinds of definitions, probably, um, that would, and many of which would just be kind of an individual level sort of um, at, about attitudes only about, you know, behavior by people not being very friendly to other people. Can I um, hop in here really quick, Dr. Krause? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we yeah. did get a very long-winded answer, and I've concluded that's one of the ways that individuals classified as white deliberately practice white supremacy racism by not answering questions or giving very convoluted, vague, long-winded answers. And even putting this in context, you just said... You live close to the Minnesota area, George Floyd. You just told us it seemed like you talked to a significant number of white people who did not seem sincerely and greatly pained about George Floyd's death. To pivot from that, and we got all of that, you didn't even answer my question. <laughs> Let me try it again. If please, I mean, and if you, whatever the answer, it's fine. I just would appreciate an answer where I don't we've waited like two, three minutes and I didn't even get my question answered again. That's the sort of thing I generally think practicing racism. So the question, do you think a significant number of individuals classified as white are often greatly and sincerely pained by racism? No, much obliged. No, I don't. I think they could be, but I don't think they are currently. Much obliged. We've had some white people on the program where, bang, three seconds, and we moved on to the next question. Other times, it's been the same type of thing, and that's important because same thing with, is there any evidence that white people are going to voluntarily stop? It's the same thing. If the answer is no, White people don't care. We don't care about Cynthia Wiggins. We don't care about George. If that's true, then we should just make that known. Then we can adjust everything about how we go about solving this problem. And again, the evidence would seem to suggest most of the individuals classified as white do not care about Cynthia Wiggins or George Floyd or dot, dot, dot. You just, you know. All right. Now, one of the books that I would point to now, why would you say such a thing? Let's get to the book Race, Neighborhoods and Community Power, Buffalo Politics, 
1934 to 1997. I'm going all the way to the end of the book. Believe you me, buddy. I did read the whole thing. You shall see. But I'm going all the way to the end just to get to the question. Now, why did you pick this title specifically? The very last paragraph or excuse me, last two sentences of the book. Policymakers, I think you could probably switch that and say white people and scholars alike need to begin from the assumption that the contemporary state of cities did not emerge as a result of autonomous market forces, but rather evolved from decades of purposive decision making. You could put deliberate right there, too in which race and location have been central elements. That right there is the capstone of the book, unless I misread. What is race, neighborhoods, and community power, Buffalo politics, 1934 to 1997? What is this here book all about? Yeah, um, you know, in, in, uh, in the 1980s and 90s, there was, you know, there was a debate that was really going on and, in uh, a lot of fields, sociology and political science and history, about you know what happened to you know to urban America, particularly cities in the Northeast and the Midwest, and and uh, and how did we how did we end up with cities that that are largely segregated and have high rates of poverty and um, and you know that sort of peaked in 1950 or 1960 and then declined, and there was all these different sort of theories and about you know how to explain what happened to to cities like Buffalo and, and many many others, um, and, and I was you know a student at the time in graduate school and I was interested in this issue and and I thought you know one thing that that and I studied with uh, uh, the co-author of the book uh, American Apartheid, um, Nancy Denton. Um, she was a sociology professor at uh, at SUNY Albany where I went to school and and uh, you know we we talked a lot about um just how you know how segregation developed and and there there was an awful lot of uh research on it in in a number of different fields and 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 I you know I was studying it from the vantage point of political science being a political scientist and I thought you know there's there's a lot there's a lot to be told here in terms of decisions that the city councils made that that uh, maybe housing authorities made or school boards made um, over a period of time that led to segregated neighborhoods, segregated schools, um, that it didn't just happen automatically, that, you know, that blacks were intentionally kept out of certain neighborhoods, uh, and then policies were adopted that very intentionally, um, you know, very, very deliberately, very intentionally segregated uh, neighborhoods, both in terms of public housing, but also just in terms of the inability, the difficulty to pass open housing uh, law, you know, uh, in in Buffalo, which is again a, a pattern that played out in a lot of cities. So I was trying to just figure out that you know that uh, this was not just an economic process, the neighborhood, you know, uh, development of a city like Buffalo. It wasn't just a market-based process where everybody just decided where they were going to live and work, and then it all just worked out that way. It, it wasn't that way at all. It was. You know, very much a, a process which an awful lot of it played out in public. 
played out in public and in city council chambers and and it, it you know it, I mean it's a history that I'm certainly it's certainly not you know an entirely original book. There's a lot of researchers that have written books about cities that have really told the story of of um, you know how political power was used uh, by whites to keep you know keep segregation maintained in, in neighborhoods and schools. So there's a lot of you know there's a lot of research on that uh, for sure, and, and my book is really just one of of many different ones. And I happen to know Buffalo because I grew up again not far from there, and I'd been there a bunch of times. And um, but it, it it's it's really a story to try to speak to some of those larger debates that hey wait a minute none of this happened accidentally. This was something that happened over a period of decades very intentionally, and the only way to address it the only way to address these things now has to be intentionally it's not going to be a market-based you know system where um segregation in in neighborhoods and high poverty neighborhoods are just going to go away that's not how it works because that's not how it developed in the first place Hmm. super important and again all of this in context of peyton gendron white terrorist deliberately targeting East Buffalo, which is prominently talked about the very street Jefferson Avenue prominently featured in this book. That is the context of trying to understand why this type of thing happened. Hmm. Now, specifically with what you just said, the title is race neighborhoods and community power, Buffalo politics, 1934 to 1997 the very first word race man I gave my definition racism white supremacy total system and worldwide that's one way I said words are so important the same thing like I said we, racism plays out where I said that's it's too nebulous even that word race many times they did that in the nightline segment they will pivot to race not racism and that is a huge difference because what we're talking about it's not just people sitting around and doing things deliberately it's white people deliberately practicing racism even that you know divided city or what have you I say that all the time that is incorrect language we're talking about a power dynamic where you have a group of people classified as white who dedicated deliberately doing things to maintain mistreatment power dynamic where we can abuse all the people that we say are not white especially the black people all areas and all over the world that's what this is do you think it would be more accurate as opposed to race that this is really racism white supremacy neighborhoods and community and I mean really community white community power like really make it plain what we're talking about racism neighborhoods and white community power buffalo politics 1934 to 1997 is that more accurate to what we're talking about well i mean the the, the book is certainly a a a story of of decades of of white racism that's certainly the case i mean the term community power i use that because that's that comes from uh that comes from a very old debate in my field um, and this was originally my PhD dissertation, so I, that's not an original, uh, you know, concept of mine. Community power, um, and, and I I put the word race in the title because it it the book is about 
is about race and racism and racial conflict throughout. Um, and and also, just to give you a little bit of context as well, I mean, it, written, I mean, it is a history of Buffalo f- for sure, and I'm, I'm, you know, there's no doubt about it, and I think it's very accessible. I think a lot of academic writing is not. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it, it, it was written as an academic book uh, as well. So I was, I was, I was addressing also a lot of scholars in in my field that, in my view, didn't adequately ad- address really race or racism at all in their analyses. They they would talk about, you know, maybe coalition building and just sort of high level politics, but not about what was happening, um, you know. In, t- in terms of, of, you know, large numbers of, of whites in certain neighborhoods, really mobilizing to keep out to keep out black residents, and and how black, you know, how how white politicians really responded to that, um, and and kind of you know, uh, in many ways, fed off that and encouraged that. So I mean that that's a little bit of the context, just of the title, in terms of where it, where it came from. But certainly, it's it's uh you know it's it's a book uh, can i pause right there dr cross because you you pivoted away yeah, yeah, from yeah. my question again very important yep. this is the sort of thing that i look at especially when i have to keep saying this please if you could answer the question and sure. then give the details so the question would it be more accurate because i'm saying this is one of the ways racism is practiced not being as accurate as possible with words the question was would it be more accurate if the title racism not race racism neighborhoods and white community power buffalo politics 1934 to 1997 would that be more accurate that was the question would that be more accurate um i mean you could you could certainly say that yeah yeah okay just for non-white listeners very especially because that word community i point that out all the time hey if you don't have a grocery store, you don't have a community, much less if race soldiers can, hey, I'm just going to go to this area and kill as many black people as I want to. And you had better hope the police get there to stop me. You don't have a community. White people have a community. They can make rules and make it that black people, non-white people, you will never be able to live here. It'll be generations and you'll still be begging for housing. That means we have a community and you don't very important non-white listeners uh why did you start the and i mean talk about racism man why did you start the book with cynthia wiggins we heard her in the audio clip from nightline made my comments about ted koppel and i read the report this 17 year old black female mother who was killed hit by a dump truck yeah um well, a couple of reasons. One, it, it, it was it was a, a tragedy that was unfolding as I was completing the book, um, and and two, it really kind of I think it symbolized a lot of the you know the, the situation faced by particular by by young women like Wiggins who have to travel, you know, an extended you know, a fairly extended uh, a trip on a bus just to have access to a low-wage job. And then as the tragedy 
you know, as the the events of 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 her 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 death really showed that the the mall just flat out refused to have that particular bus coming from the east side of Buffalo uh, pull up next to the doors of the mall, whereas other buses did. It just sort of symbolized a lot of the the how racism had played out in so many ways. Uh, and even though I didn't in the book, I didn't you know study any of the issues around the mall or anything like that. It was obviously a, a significant news item at the time, and I thought that it 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 spoke to you know a lot of the the larger problems that I had tried to lay out, uh, and and it that happened over a period of of many decades leading up to the current situation. As I said, I was emailing Dr. Krauss. I had nothing. I'd never heard of Cynthia Wiggins. Johnny Cochran got involved in this case, helped get like a two point five five million dollars settlement uh, for the family and what have you. And fascinating articles about that. My goodness, this is after the O.J. Simpson trial. So, you know, like once his name gets brought in, like, oh, my God, do you do you remember the context? You said you were writing your book around this time. So johnny cochran gets involved this is after oj simpson do you remember some of the commentary once he got involved in the case in buffalo i mean i i don't remember a lot of the specifics i remember once he got involved it became a big news story and then and then it it it, at that point it was going to be clear that um well it seemed anyway to me that it that it there wasn't going to be a a lengthy trial or something like that when he got involved. He was very high profile at the time. Uh, and, um, you know, and I think every, you know, the the the, the, the developer didn't want to, you know, didn't want to see that any sort of trial occur and, and, and have folks talking about testifying why this one particular bus was not, you know, was not allowed to, to approach the mall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't remember exactly like a lot of the specifics that Cochran did. I don't know how, um, you know, how much involvement he had. I don't think he had to be involved for that long for them to get a settlement. I don't think, but again, I, I can't really speak to the details there. Right on, right on. I'll share maybe, uh, Later on, some of the articles from the Buffalo News they had that are, uh, I think they even allowed some of the readers uh, to write in their little editorial page and what have you uh, about this, this case and Johnny Cochran's involvement and then the O.J. Simpson connection, of course, because of Buffalo. Fascinating. Um, continuing uh, with your book, uh, we had, as I said, uh, Dr. Sean Lay. He was on the program uh, Hooded Nights. Uh, on the Niagara, uh, the KKK in Buffalo, New York. Uh, he was on the program just a few weeks ago. And at the very beginning of his text, he says the recent body of work suggests that the KKK was much more of a mainstream organization than was once believed. And that Klansmen, although assuredly racist and bigoted, were average citizens in the context of the times, indeed a major theme of this new scholarship, is that the intolerance that characterized the KKK, intolerance meaning white supremacy racism, pervaded all levels of white American society during the 1920s. Dr. Lay explained why that was, and I asked, well, hey, that's, that's kind of obvious, but so is this still true 2020? racism, white supremacy, parading all levels of white society. Is that still true, Dr. Krause? 
Oh, I think so, yes. Yes, I mean, obviously the Klan is a different kind of organization if you talk about them in particular, but but certainly, it, it you know, racism does does you know penetrate all all sort of areas of white society. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Before this is the same triple that I did with Doctor Lay, then we'll get back to your text because this is directly related. All of this is directly about Buffalo. So three quick snippets. So the first is from Doctor Lay's book. He writes, "Race all div- also divided the community." By 1920, there were nearly 5,000 blacks in Buffalo, most of whom lived in the 6th and 7th wards on the Lower East Side, one of the most impoverished parts of the city still is. As elsewhere in the United States, local African-Americans confronted racist attitudes that severely limited socioeconomic mobility. In a study conducted in 1927, University of Buffalo sociologist Niles Carpenter discovered that many city employers considered blacks to be slow thinkers who were not able to assume any responsibility. Most of those interviewed agreed that blacks should always have a white man as foreman. With such sentiments prevailing, it is not surprising that the large majority of black workers were confined to low-paid, unskilled, and semi-skilled jobs and that their status improved only marginally during the 1920s and beyond. So that's Dr. Lay's book. Pause right there. Keep that in mind. So next, education alone will not explain the economic disparity. The 1990 census reported that 57% of whites and 52% of blacks had completed high school, obtained an associate's degree, or completed one to three years of college. Even more striking is the fact that more blacks, 19%, than whites, 16%, had completed one or more years of college without getting their diploma. This should make blacks more competitive in the labor market, but it does not. Only racism can explain the economic disparity. In 1992, the Buffalo News conducted a poll on racial attitudes in Erie County. They found, oh, you were there for this, maybe. They found whites viewed blacks as less intelligent, less hardworking, and less trustworthy than whites. Similar results were found in a poll conducted by WKBW-TV. Now, that's from Black in Buffalo, a late century progress report, 1996, right around the time you were working on your book. Now, the last one, remember, all of this is connected to May 2022. This is from the manifesto attributed to Peyton Gendron. It reads, European populations are much more likely to have a specific gene, specific genes that are linked to the brain than Africans. These genes have a direct influence on expected behavior and brain development which may have factors in the individual's expected fluid and crystallized intelligence. In conclusion, from all of this, blacks are predispositioned to have weaker brain ability due to genetics. This is important because it leads to the question if blacks should live in a Western world built by whites. The answer to this question is 
No, they simply are not built to live in the white world. This advanced human civilization that we have today can only be built by whites. Blacks simply hold us down. Now this is from 1920 to last month all writing about black people being unintelligent and they need to be ruled dominated by white people what does and all of this pertaining to buffalo specifically what does this say this this line of thinking to be so long-lasting consistent in white culture this is all specific to buffalo well i mean i think it it especially the last quote that you read that's so recent um, you know, it shows that th this line of thinking is, is hasn't gone away. It certainly hasn't gone away, and it's it's gained a lot of steam, obviously, in the last several years. Um, it, you know, it's it's. It, I mean, at one level, it's stunning, but it's not. Um, you know, it, it it it's not because it it's obviously with social media and so forth these sorts of you know these sorts of uh ideas and things like that are are everywhere i mean one of the things i always tell my students is you know i'm 54 years old when i was a kid when i was a teenager or a college student you had to work really hard to get crazy views and and uh, uh i mean you did you had to go out of your way you had to go to bookstores or hang out with weird people or or just do things that you had to work really hard to get marginal ideas, ideas that 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 uh, you know, like the, like what you just read from his manifesto. That would be a hard thing to get in when I graduated graduated from high school in 1986. That'd be hard for a typical 18-year-old to access that unless he or she did a lot of digging, right? But now a typical 18-year-old can can access that, you know, on their phone. Uh, and before you know it, it's these ideas are sort of been mainstreamed again. Um, so I think it it obviously is a predisposition to to want to you know accept that sort of that sort of stuff. But um, I mean, there's a lot going on there. But you know, I think technology has not been especially um, conducive to to. Uh, you know, having a lot of of constructive debate on, on so many of these issues when things like that are are probably a, a whole lot more popular than uh, than you know other kinds of things that a young disaffected male could be reading. Listeners will come back to that later uh, about now. How widespread with these sort of racist, he said, that's another one, marginalized, racist ideas, how accessible, how so-called mainstream would these ideas be 1980s? Uh, we'll come back to that. I would just say quickly that racism, white supremacy is always mainstream. In fact, nothing is ever more mainstream, so-called, than white supremacy, racism worldwide, in fact, throughout the known universe. Um that yeah well, I'll pivot to uh, the education component is key and that pops up in the book even in your book uh, 
Dr. Krauss in terms of white people and their thinking about black people being dumb and needing to be ruled by white people. I'll pick out some of those passages as we proceed. Uh, as I said, I was digging through the library, University of Washington, checking. I didn't even know they had a section on Buffalo, other side of the continent. I was digging uh, because of our book club. We're reading uh, Catherine Pellinero's book, Absolute Madness. That's where I was going to, to get more details. I found your book. I went through the index. I did not see Joseph G. Christopher mentioned at all. Do you know who Joseph G. Christopher is? I don't believe I do. Wowzers. That's amazing. Now, that's what I said when I looked at the book. I said, this, wow, we've got to ask him about this because I said, wow, this time period, there's no way this can cannot be covered. And indeed, it's not covered in the text. Uh, Joseph, and particularly given what happened last month, uh, Joseph G. Christopher uh, is known as the 22 caliber killer. Uh, he we don't even know how many black people he killed, but uh, at least for the record that we have, uh, he killed uh, at least six black males in the Buffalo area in Buffalo specifically. Uh, in fact, at an East Buffalo Tops grocery store, that was the first black person that he killed a 14 year old black male, Glenn Dunn. Uh, that's September of 1980. Uh, he shot four black males in the head. Uh, he killed two black taxi cab drivers, uh, Parler Edwards uh, and Ernest Jones in October of 1980 in Buffalo. He didn't just kill them. Uh, he stabbed them to death and then carved out their hearts. Uh, he stabbed to death two other black males in Buffalo in January. And then he killed some other black males in New York State, in Rochester, Niagara Falls, New York City. But most of his killings happened in the Buffalo area. He was ult ultimately uh, arrested, indicted, all of that. Uh, there were many, many reports on this. Like, this was a huge deal. Um, President Jimmy Carter talked about these killings. Uh, Vice presidential candidate George H.W. Bush Bush. Uh, came to Buffalo to talk about this. They had a U.S. federal task force about this. Jesse Jackson came to Buffalo uh, to talk about these issues. Uh, I'm re this is uh, Chet Fuller. Uh, he is a black journalist. The Atlanta Constitution. This is from August 22, 1983. Uh, Buffalo is now a city of fear. Uh, he says, uh, when I was in Buffalo, nearly everywhere I went, I picked up on a foreboding sense of decay and despair. Unemployment was high, particularly among blacks who make up more than 25% of the city's population and are mainly confined to the old central section of the city, the site of Buffalo's worst slums, well covered in Dr. Krause's book. It was a particularly gloomy time, the spring of 1981, in the midst of widespread panic generated by a puzzling series of slayings of black males. Because the seven victims were shot with a small caliber pistol, the media dubbed the mysterious assailant as the 22 caliber killer. And a kind of gruesome lore sprang up around this mystery man, exacerbating the tension between the black and white communities. Hate literature was distributed throughout the city in the form of licenses to hunt coons. This is what I mean about accessibility of these sort of ideas. And back to Africa boat tickets on the coon ship line black police officers reported seeing composite drawings 
of the murder suspect on bulletin boards in some of the city's precinct offices, plural, with my hero and man of the year written under them. That was in 81. A suspect has since been arrested, Joseph G. Christopher. He has been judged not fit to stand trial, but the killings have stopped. Still, word from friends in the city and news reports since then indicate things have gotten worse. Buffalo has become the dark side of the American dream. I'll stop there. It goes on to talk about more mistreatment, but this is Buffalo is now a city. I mean, they have racks of reports. There are two different books or three. I'm sorry. So there are three books written on this killing. Matt Greider, he was a guest on our program, May 31st, his book, Joey 22. Frank E. Dobson Jr., his book, Rendered Invisible. He was a guest on our program last week. Catherine Pellinero, Absolute Madness. That's in our book club. This case, no one except Frank Dobson, he's the only guest that we've had on the program who we asked, do you know who Joseph Christopher is? No one knows who this person is. And we, you are now the second person, white person, that we've had on this program who's spent some time living in Buffalo, wrote a book about the history of racism in Buffalo, didn't know who Joseph Christopher was and did not include them in their book. And even your book goes over the time period when this happened. Even before I get your response, let me get one more report just because some of the characters who are huge in your book are huge in this story, too. So the other report, this is from The Washington Post. This is November 5, 1980. Buffalo. Listen to the titles of these reports. Buffalo becomes a city of fear suspicion so I'm skipping through to the pertinent parts let's see uh, there are some signs that the city may be bouncing back a few new squarish brown and great office high-rise tower above the old buildings downtown there are plans to develop the waterfront you talk about that in the book with restaurants and condominiums and some Kuwaitis have taken an interest in the fading old Sattler Hilton, where many of the rooms have been converted to offices, but can still easily get accommodations for $22 a day. Mayor James Griffin, big player in your book, who was elected on the conservative party line in a tough law and order campaign three years ago, is concerned that national press accounts of the murders will give the city a rap it doesn't deserve. He emphasizes that only two of the murders occurred within the city's limits, the others in outlying suburbs talked about in your book. There's a heck of a lot more murders taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, than the city of Buffalo, he told the reporter. He said he believes the black community has been stirred by its leaders to needless alarm, recalling that there was no huge community outcry when a few years back, a black man raped and killed four white women. The white community wasn't up in arms saying we ought to arm ourselves. The, pre the, press, con the press here had a field day with the story drawing inexact comparisons between the murders of the black men and the son of Sam killings. They even talk about how this was dubbed by some the son of Sambo killings in Buffalo. I'll pause there. What what is your response to not knowing about this at all? And then this didn't make it in your book. That's about racism and, and Buffalo right in the time period, 80 through 81. 
Yeah. <clears throat> well, um, I mean, I, you know, I, I had to study, you know, certain things. I moved to the city in 95 and I spent three years there and, and I, you know, as a researcher, I sort of picked three main areas uh, and, and not meaning policy areas. And I didn't really, I didn't really look into law enforcement or crime very much in, in the book, um, you know, to speak of. And, and there's a ton of things that happened in Buffalo uh, and every other city over a 70 year period that, that, you can't make it into a uh, can't make it into a book, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, th- there have been books, and, and perhaps you've you know come across some of them. Um, you know, just a social history or of Buffalo, or you know, social histories of of other cities. Um, and and this was a very you know very specific, narrow focus on you know on the schools, on public housing, on redevelopment, and uh, and I was sort of focus like a laser on those on those particular topics and spend a lot an awful lot of time you know in archives and, and libraries and things like that and I did interview a bunch of folks um, current and former city officials um, as part of the process but I asked them you know questions about the segregation of the schools and the desegregation case and things like that and and it that particular case although now that the more you talk about it I mean I was I was in high school when that happened in Syracuse, and I do remember it. And I do remember Griffin basically saying, "There's no there there," which wouldn't be surprising if you know Jimmy Griffin said that, of course. Um, you know, and and now that you describe some of the details, I I didn't know the name, but I do recall I do recall some of some of that uh, some of those events being I guess being about 14 years old at the time, 15 years old or so myself. We've, uh, we've even ignorance, and I pointed that out. I mean, hey, I'm on the other side of the continent. If I was in Buffalo, I'd probably have mountains more. I have well over 200 articles on this. This was super well cut. 5,000 people reportedly marched at City Hall about this event, Unity Day, October 1980, about black males being killed. It touches on everything you talk about in your book. The uh, killer, Joseph G. Christopher, they talk about his dad was upset. They were upset about the busing. In fact, got him a vehicle, didn't want him to ride on the bus because of the whole desegregation thing. They had a police slowdown in the midst of all of this, which enraged lots of black people who said, man, if there was a serial killer out killing white people and carving their hearts out, and you tell me we have a police slowdown, <laughs> we're upset about the contract. So, you know, we... <sighs> have to get the things as we get to them. Like this would not be, I mean, it touches if you want to talk about community power, it touches every detail that you talk about in your book. And it's the exact time period. Like I thought I told listeners, I said, man, and it's the same characters. Like I can totally accept you can't cover everything in your book, but I mean, wow. I don't think a president talked about Cynthia Wiggins being hit by a dump truck. That was one person should, Shouldn't anybody be killed? But I mean, at least six black people were killed in Buffalo specifically. And this case went on for months before anybody was even incarcerated. Exactly what we talked about with Dr. Dobson rendered invisible. Like I would say anybody you do a study that deals with racism and Buffalo and it covers the 1980s 
Joseph G. Christopher not being mentioned, I would have to think like if we're talking an academic setting, you said this was your dissertation, if I recall correctly, man, that's got to be like a two letter grade deduction. It might even be an automatic F because this event was there was a House Select Committee on these events. Buffalo was right there at the top with Atlanta that was mentioned like uh, I can only chalk that up again. Black lives apparently are not worth a whole lot that you can have a white serial. In fact, this prompted black on white violence in retaliation. A white man was even killed because it took so long and black people were so upset about this. Like Mayor Griffin had to come out and talk about that, too. Like it is an amazing chunk of history. It is. I don't think you can talk about the history of Buffalo in the last 50 years and not talk about this case. Can you think of another time where 5,000 people rallied in downtown Buffalo? Well, in the book, I talk about how bigger groups than that rallied uh, whites against, uh, you know, keeping blacks out of public housing in the 30s and 40s. And I talk about several instances uh, of bigger crowds. So, so yeah, but, um, you know, I mean, uh, race brings out, uh, brings out, large demonstrations there's no question you know there's no question and and uh um you know and and in the in the cases that i studied from the late 30s and 40s um there were very large crowds of of whites that were mobilizing to basically keep black defense workers out of their neighborhoods um so you know there's i think there's a lot of different uh events that might you know that might bring out sizable crowds like that absolutely I did say last 50 years he said 30s and 40s uh, last 50 years in downtown Buffalo a crowd of thousands stomping up and down about racism Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to that I, I, I don't know uh, probably not probably not that's about what I thought super important I'll stick by what I said we'll get to because there's a lot of constructive information but I this is not you know gusty trying to be uh this is being accurate historical same thing I would say the same thing I said to every white guest because everybody has gotten an f on this one except Dr. Dobson Matt Greider had no idea and this is hugely important this sort of thing happens all the time where these events exactly what Dr. Dobson said if these had been white people we would know who Je- uh, Joseph G. Christopher and his name hasn't even been brought up in the last month and a half now. Like they haven't the New York Times. They did tons of reports. Some of these killings happened in New York City, Manhattan, the Midtown Slasher. He was dubbed. They didn't do any sort of analysis like, wow, this happened again. A white supremacist targeted a Topps grocery store in East Buffalo again. Nobody has reported it that way, not even the Buffalo News. And they have tons of reports like I've been calling that out for a month and a half that 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 right there, racism, white supremacy, and then people not talking about it and not being included. All of that to to not remember these lives. And then a white serial, a white racist killer who did same thing as Peyton Gendron just said, I'm going out to kill black people like super important part of Buffalo history. Anywho. Uh, back to your book, Dr. Krauss, uh, and the things that you do cover that are important that speak to this. And in fact, I can even weave back in Joseph Christopher because it touches on so many aspects of things that you talk about in your text. I'll see if I can weave some of that in as we proceed. Uh, this is on page 23. Make sure I get my pages to line up correctly here 
on page 20 wrong book there we go page 23 uh, of your text all righty took me a while to get my highlights pulled back up I got moved off to the other things that I was reading all right so this is number one from the community power and the ghetto uh, page eight very early in the text you write in arguing that the local decision-making process has substantially contributed to the existence of concentrated urban poverty. I maintain that race should be racism, white supremacy itself has been the primary source of conflict related to policies affecting residential neighborhood development. Scholars of community power, however, have not adequately addressed the degree to which race racism has influenced local politics and development. That question that I wanted to ask specifically about this, I suspect you can correct me if I'm wrong. The scholars that you're talking about are probably mostly white. Why do you think that they have not adequately addressed the degree to which racism has been a primary factor in what has taken place? Well, I think that in, you know, in my field, I think in, in a number of fields in academics, um, you know, there's more of a focus on, um, on the study of business, on elites, uh, on you know what happens at the sort of the highest levels of decision making between maybe politicians and and business people and that sort of thing. And when that is the emphasis, oftentimes things that really, in my view, drive a lot of decision making at the neighborhood level, having to do with individual attitudes, public opinion, things like that, racism, just aren't part of the analysis. Um, the analysis focuses mainly on, you know, building coalitions and how coalitions are built and uh, among, you know, certain, maybe certain interest groups or constituencies, but, but it's usually an, an analysis of, of folks at, at the highest levels and not so much an analysis of, of neighborhood politics, where a lot of the racism, you know, uh, manifests itself, I think, much more directly and explicitly in, in decisions related to housing and schools and things like that. Mm. I think, too, same way that I've been saying with the obfuscating, uh, like racism plays out and things of that marginalized. I think also that's a big part of it. We have all of this scholarship that points to other reasons, economics, you know, uh, things of that nature, that it's class, things of that nature, as opposed to no. And at least I thought that was important. I'll read specific sections. We even talk about, well, well, you know, it's the elites that are trying to No, it is racism, white supremacy and widespread, uh, not just so-called elites widespread amongst the individuals who classify themselves as white their dedication to racism white supremacy is driving deliberate policy decisions I think that is so important and that is deliberately left out of the scholarship which again is mostly white people um, The this is moving down a little bit page 11 race neighborhoods and community power uh, you write in adopting is that the right Yes. In adopting some pluralist assumptions about methodology, however, my analysis differs from traditional pluralist thought in terms of interpreting historical events 
and intergroup relations. Almost all of the decisions in this book were made by elected and appointed officials and most occurred within the context of substantial public debate. The record clearly illustrates that since the 1930s, race, again racism, has been the driving force behind a number of important policy decisions in Buffalo with white majorities consistently winning out over black minorities. Unlike other ethnic groups, which have prospered once they have achieved sufficient formal representation, African Americans have faced unremitting discrimination even after achieving adequate political representation. What is the difference with African Americans and other so-called ethnic groups? Well, I mean, racism has been a lot, I mean, in terms of that, that quote, pluralist, pluralist thinking in the 60s and 50s and 60s and 70s basically treated, you know, relations between whites and blacks at that time as being analogous to, well, you know, the Irish came 100 some years ago and Italians and other, other white ethnic groups and they all moved up the economic ladder and pluralists argued in the 1950s and 60s in social science that, you know, blacks will likely do the same. And I was speaking to that, that sort of debate and saying, well, that hasn't happened because of the existence of white racism and the, the persistence of it over time, which is quite different than, you know, intergroup relations among white ethnic groups, whether they're Italian-Americans or German-Americans or Polish-Americans or what have you, um, that obviously the dynamics and white racism directed at blacks has been quite different and far more durable and, and, uh, and pernicious over the decades. And that's what I was getting at, the, 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 the old sort of analogy between blacks and other white ethnic groups that a lot of social scientists made a long time ago hasn't really, has not worked out, <laughs> has not worked out that way. False equivalency. Uh, these are groups who could be eventually accepted as white. And hey, that changes right. a whole lot of things. Like, my goodness, <laughs> we, hey, if Rick James could be accepted as white, we wouldn't have this problem. Uh, Let's see. This is, I'm skipping down a little bit. This is page 39 uh, from Dr. Neil Krause's book. Uh, this is the section Buffalo and Western New York. You right. <laughs> In fact, I'll pause and do it this way. This is why I say Joseph G. Christopher, like anybody, you write about Buffalo, New York and racism. And it includes the time period of the 1980s. And Joseph G. Christopher is not included it's either a two letter grade deduction or it's an F I'd have to decide which one I might even be leaving towards an F like it's that important. So the report, this is racial killings, a rough, tough, excuse me, racial killings, appall a rough, tough town. <laughs> and it's goes, it says an ugly shaming time at the Bethlehem steel plant. A worker opened his locker and stared at a beef heart someone had stuck there. And as I said, there were two black males who were butchered and had their hearts taken out. 
and they put a beef heart in the locker at Bethlehem Steel. Now, go back to your book and read. So this is on page 39. Uh, Since early in the 20th century, the Lackawanna plant was the largest manufacturing employer in the Buffalo area. The plant was also Bethlehem Steel's largest plant and the fourth largest steel plant in the United States. As a result of the changes made by the United States against Bethlehem, the company admitted that it had engaged in several different discriminatory employment practices at the Lackawanna plant up through September 1967. Consequently, the only question to be resolved in the case was the nature of the remedy. The discriminatory practices revolved around hiring, job assignment, and promotion. For example, Bethlehem Steel admitted that it never applied any objective standards for new employee hiring and job assignments. As a result of the lack of any uniform procedure, the company's plant employment office, and this is all directly in a quote, falsely raised the general aptitude test scores of some white applicants, hired some white applicants without testing, granted preferential treatment to white applicants for summer employment and, in general, provided employment opportunities to white applicants which were not generally provided to Negro applicants. With respect to discriminatory hiring, the company also admitted that its supervisor of employment consistently gave preferential treatment to residents of Angola, an all-white suburb outside Buffalo. Because of this preferential hiring of whites, only 2.5% of all of the individuals hired by Bethlehem during the summers of 1966 and 1967 were African American. Once hired, blacks were consistently given the least desirable and lowest paying jobs I will stop there now none of this is accidental all of this is deliberate I wanted to get your response but they're lying about the white aptitude tests of these white people not even testing them in some cases but saying that black people are dumb and ignorant and need a white supervisor like that sort of hypocrisy I think is so important like black people are dumb and ignorant you're not even testing all of the white applicants and they're just getting passed through. And, uh, I, woo. Uh, and before I even get your response, I think this is important because this is a point you make in your book when people say, hey, deindustrialization, man. Everybody has a tough time. Black people, white people, you know, jobs leaving. These, hey, black people were facing a lot of racism at these companies before we even talk about deindustrialization. It's not like they were moving right up the ladder and getting all the management jobs at Bethlehem Steel. Now, your response, sir? Yeah, I mean, the, the second point that you made, you know, is a big is a big theme of the book that, you know, this notion that the loss of, of industry is what created, you know, high poverty, segregated neighborhoods. And when you look right at it, like the quote that you read from the Bethlehem Steel case, um, you know, it, there were not large numbers of blacks that that worked at Bethlehem Steel, and the ones, as you read, the ones that 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 were, you know, that did get jobs there were discriminated against in terms of the types of jobs that they could get, and obviously the wages they received, and so forth. 
Um, and the reason I, you know, went into great lengths in the book about that whole the issue of the loss of industry is because that's that's kind of the one of the big explanations for a city like Buffalo and and a hundred other cities in the Midwest and Northeast that well an industry left that's what created all this, these high poverty neighborhoods and, and I'm thinking well there, there's a lot more going on than that obviously and um, you know as you point out it, it was very deliberate very intentional. Racism, discrimination uh, against applicants, uh, against even black uh, black applicants that got hired, um, still face discrimination. As you said, we're not we're not moving up the ladder, or anything of the sort. Um, so you know, it, it's it, because the, the the danger when we say that well, cities like Buffalo and Cleveland and a, a million others just peaked in 1950 and 1960 when the the steel industry or whatever else peaked. Um, the danger when we say all that is that, well, there's nothing that this was all just some sort of a set of market forces that, that shaped the plight of all these places. And, 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 uh, you know, a larger point of the book is that, that, uh, no, it, 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 it's quite a bit more than that. And, and politics and, and decision-making and public policies, and also a lot of folks in the private sector, of course, um, engaging in discrimination and, and racism and, and so on and so forth. So it's not, it's not any sort of, um, you know, market-based, uh, inevitable or automatic explanation for, you know, for poverty, discrimination, and segregation, things like that. White supremacy, racism, it's not market forces. It is deliberate, willful intentional not ignorant we are dedicated to white supremacy racism in all areas of people activity and again same thing I pointed out with regards to education and you see that same mentality where large groups of white people think that black people are dumb and ignorant and have to have a white boss forever if we allow them to live at all you see that thread consistent 1920s all the way to Peyton Gendron that same thread in terms of just specifically with Bethlehem Steel. So we're talking now on a micro level, as they say. Not one to hire black people, not one to hire black people. They have a court case, you all are practicing so-called discrimination, white supremacy, not hiring, and then not even testing the white people. You don't even have standards about how you go about hiring all this, and then giving the black applicants the worst job. This is in the 60s. We move forward 20 years. The few black people who are there are terrorized in in the middle of a killing of black people where the killer hasn't been caught a beef heart in the locker and it wasn't just at Bethlehem Steel it was at the library too where someone put a heart in the middle of all of this later on in the book this is on page 71 uh, and speaking of protests had that one lined up to include uh, you write this at the bottom of 71 uh, and this is talking about housing and where, this is so important uh, when they do all this talk, we've had guests on before. Where they talk about Rosie Riveter and all this patriotism and greatest generation, World War II, all hands on deck. And we're going to go and take down Adolf Hitler and Nazis. And all oh, that is a bunch of malarkey in so many ways. It is white supremacy racism all the time. Uh, we had white scholars on in Michigan who talked about they had a small number. It was like less than 20 
black females got employed to help them in Michigan, auto plants and what have you, Detroit and what ha- all hands on deck. That's what I, what? You're going to hire these nigger women? Strikes. You talk about thousands of people going on strike because they hired like 10 black people to be janitors. Have <laughs> you? This is on page 71, Dr. Neil Krause's book. While the discussion of sites of North Buffalo sites in North Buffalo and in Chicago created conflict and community resistance. The protests that followed the August 1941 announced by the Federal Works Agency that the housing development for black defense workers were going to be built in South Buffalo was by any measure enormous. Similar to the two previous sites proposed, South Buffalo was an area with only white residents, the home for many Irish Americans large-scale organized protests erupted immediately after the federal government's announcement eight businesses excuse me eight business groups and three labor unions joined forces in an appeal to senator james mead and representative john butler to get the federal government to abandon the south buffalo site in the days that followed several protests took place in the south buffalo area organized by business labor religious and political organizations neighborhood residents circulated a petition signed by approximately 10,000 residents he said thumb to that Gus T 5,000 10,000 residents expressing their opposition to the project and sent it to officials in Washington I will say that is pretty impressive in an era where Man, I suspect you had a lot of folks who probably didn't have a phone, much less like Twitter or TikTok. Like, wow, that is bravo, bravo. 10,000 residents expressing their opposition to the project and sent it to officials in Washington. Such massive opposition led Mayor Thomas Holling, who had previously taken pride in his administration's ability to rise above everyday pressures in the decision making to staunchly oppose the South Buffalo site. Federal officials defended their decision, however, emphasizing the many problems associated with other possible sites, including Willard Park. I will stop there to see. I mean, you see this over and over. Now, again, all of this is now how did patron Gen- Peyton Gendron pick out East Buffalo as an area where will there be a large number of Negroes concentrated where I can go kill as many as possible? This is a part of understanding why and in the middle of an all hands on deck World War II, let's go get Adolf Hitler. Oh, no, you're not going to house those niggers here. Your your thoughts, Dr. Krauss? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the first thing I would say is that the the events that you just described, um, I mean, it was once I started looking at just in newspapers, uh, I found most of that stuff. It was very easy to find. Uh, and, and it was, it was stunning to me, the numbers, some of the numbers you read about the size of the protests, um, particularly during, during, uh, World War II, when, you know, the housing was for blacks involved, uh, employed in the defense industry. Um, it, it just, um, the, the opposition and, and, you know, you read some of the passage there that, you know, one one white neighborhood to the next just mobilized uh, tremendously to keep 
that housing out. And, um, you know, that's a history that, that uh, is not that old. Is not that old, and it's in a major northern city, and it's, um, I mean, in, in two, my book came out in 2000, and, and I used to think at that time that that was, you know, that's a, that's a kind of history that, that I wasn't too familiar with. Uh, I think 22 years later, I think it's, you know, that sort of history is more, you know, is, is more researched and more known. But, uh, you know, this was, as, as you say, during what's supposed to be a real patriotic time. And even at a moment like that, um, blacks who were working for the defense, eventually of the United States. The United States had not entered the war yet formally at that at that early in 1941. Um, it's just uh, something that everyone should be aware of, and including lots of other, you know, obviously lots of other facts about our history. But um, the extent to which whites mobilized to keep blacks out of their neighborhoods. Um, who were who were employed in the defense of the United States is uh, speaks volumes. Dedication. What are the values? White supremacy, racism, above everything. Very important, I think, as well. Lots of people should know about Joseph G. Christopher as well. That's even more recent history. Uh, let's see. Folks who dialed in, make sure we get callers as well as we are proceeding along here. Uh, the caller at 9608-9608. Uh, did you have a question for Dr. Neil Krauss? Uh, 9608. Did you have a question? Good evening, Gus. Uh, can I be heard? Greetings. We can't hear you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to the guests and greetings to the audience. Uh, Dr. Cross, I just have two questions. <laughs> Excuse me. Based on your son's total knowledge as a white person in the system of white supremacy, what should be the compensation for white people who have established, maintained, expanded, and refined the system of white supremacy? The the compensation? Yes. Okay, so are you talking about reparations? However or, you choose to answer that, sir. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I can't, you know, speak to, the, you know, the the amount of, of money or, or individual compensation because I've not really considered those numbers, I know that that the issue of reparations is has become more of a much more i think mainstream debate i you know than it used to be twenty or thirty or forty years ago um, but I think reparations are something that should certainly be considered i i mean I would not begin to even know how to quantify um, you know the the amount of of uh, individuals should receive but i know that there's a lot of work on that issue and i know that that you know some folks have tried to do exactly that um 
So I, you know, I, I, I can't give you a number. My second question, based on your sum total knowledge as a white person in the system of white supremacy, should non-white people globally have any limits to the degree in which they choose to resist the system of racism, white supremacy? Should have any limits to the degree to which they choose to resist the system of white supremacy? Yes. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, are what? What are you? Are, are you advocating something in particular? No, nothing in particular. Just based on your own total knowledge, as a white person, should non-white people have any limits to the degree in which they choose to resist? Well, I mean, I would hope. I would hope that that resistance would, you know, would would take the form of of you know things that happen in, in democratic systems to create change in ways that are conducive to maintaining democracy, which right now is seems to be at stake in the United States. Um, so I mean, beyond beyond that, in terms of the tradition of of resistance, that I mean, I can't speak to the situation in other countries because I I live here and I know mo- the vast majority of my knowledge is about the United States. But um, you know, I think that that uh, that you know, I think that basically just the the norms of democracy which are very much under assault right now would be hopefully the the limits to to any sort of resistance although you know i think if you look at american history change has come in a variety of ways but it's always come from sustained resistance sustained resistance against oppression um which has taken far too long to bring about change, but change has occurred. Thank you, Gus, for accepting my call. And my apologies for sounding winded. I was working out there. No, no problem. No problem. Fitness is important. Right on. I didn't uh, didn't notice that you were winded. Right on. Uh, at star six one, if other folks uh, have a question, just again pointing out the uh, importance of words. Uh, we do not have a democracy. He said democracy twice. We have a system of white supremacy. And the late grandsister, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, she would point that out all the time, uh, meaning democracy, meaning justice. That's not what we have. Not even close. If we had a system of democracy, meaning justice, we wouldn't have this problem to begin with. The person who dialed in one one five nine last four digits, one one five nine. Did you have a question for Dr. Neil Krauss? One one five nine should be with us. Greetings, Gus, and greetings to the guest. Thank you for your time and energy. Um, my question is. Um, do you think that 
um, the collective of um, white people will ever be willing to help non-white people to establish justice on planet Earth? Will they ever be willing? Um, I mean, that's that's a really tough question, especially if you go to the whole, you know, the, the global level. Um, I mean, I think fundamental change has come through, you know, sustained political action, sustained resistance. And I, and I, and I don't think that if you look at history, it, it's not come, significant changes have not come, you know, voluntarily. Uh, so I don't think anything, you know, I, I don't think that, that, you know, white supremacy, white racism would be, you know, would be addressed meaningfully um, simply by allowing things to happen. Or, or, or you know, will lots of, of whites begin to, you know, dismantle systems of oppression um, voluntarily, uh, that's hard to, to see happening without without sustained resistance, without, you know, political movements, social movements, sort of pushing, pushing folks to do that. All right. What do you think um, non-white people have to do to get white people to be willing to help us to establish justice? You know, that's a great question. And it's a question I've thought about quite a bit, uh, particularly in the past couple of years since George Floyd. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, um, You know, I, I every once in a while I think I I do know, or I, I mean, I have ideas, right? We all have ideas, but um, you know, what will be like the the one thing or two things that will that will um, spur enough white people to to think differently, to take action? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I can answer that. I mean, I think that I think educating folks is a big part of it. I think educating, I think just, just educating, you know, the basics of American history, which a lot of folks don't know much about really. I mean, this is what the whole debate about critical race theory is about. It's, it's, it's a backlash against just the teaching of history. And, you know, the, the, the notion that anything, any sort of historical analysis or looking at the past that, makes anyone remotely uncomfortable is is uh is not okay. I mean that's sort of the critique of of, of critical race theory that well it it made you know my son or daughter uncomfortable. Uh or it makes groups of students feel guilty about things that happened uh, you know a hundred or two hundred or three hundred years ago. I mean that's not what it's supposed to do at all. It's supposed to be, you know, something about teaching what actually happened and, you know, and teaching history for what it was, for for what actually occurred. And a lot of that it does 
is not pleasant to learn about, is, is not something that we can feel great about. But that's not the purpose of education either. You know, it's not just to make make us all feel warm and, and good about things. It's to learn things. It's to grow as a human. It's to become more intelligent, to, to gain knowledge, to gain empathy, you know, to learn about how other people have lived and to learn about all kinds of things. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's not very specific just to talk about education, but, I mean, I, if, if we're thinking about a specific thing, to address your question, I, I think we have to at least begin with education. Um, and, and you know, and all the informal conversations that that uh, that people can have with with people that uh, have a different experience than them. You know, that's that's tough to do in a segregated society. It's tough to do when our neighborhoods are segregated. And many of our schools are segregated. Many of our workplaces are. Um, you know, so one approach obviously would be to address segregation first, and then people can have perhaps conversations with people who are different than them that they were never going to have in their whole life. Um, but I mean, those are just a few thoughts. That's a that's a huge question. It's a huge question, and it's something I I do think about. I think a lot of people do. Thank you. That was um, interesting. Did you have any other questions, sir? No, sir. Thank you. And thank you again, um, guest. Much obliged. Much obliged. Uh, victim in New Jersey. Did you have a question for Dr. Neil Krauss, victim in New Jersey? Yeah, how you doing, doctor? Uh, how you doing, Gus? Um, so, so yeah, so I, I, was, I have two questions. So the first, because you said basically about uh, um, the push or the, um, the public opinion about CRT and how um, learning about this history, it may... Um, it, and I don't want to. I don't. I want to get your words right. You said it makes people feel bad about the history. That is that what you said? Well, that's my characterization of the critique. That's my characterization oh. of the op- of, of the opposition to it. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's the attack on CRT. Okay, so you think that's the okay? But do you do you think? Because I mean, we do live in a system where you know violence is um, celebrated, um, whether it's the celebration of Christopher Columbus, whether it's the celebrating of the conquest of um, Alexander the Great. You know, so do you? would you say that, you know, most people, you know, really don't feel bad about subjugation or, or conquering people? Is that, could, could one come to that conclusion? I think one could. I think one could. I think your I think your point about celebrating violence is is uh, is a good point, and I think one could come to that conclusion. Yes. Right. So, did you think that maybe that um, the push for you know, I mean, people 
not wanting to um, accurately um, talk about history is because because a crime was committed. I mean, I, I do believe that white supremacy racism is a crime, that the victims of that crime is still walking around. So you think that can be the reason? Because, you know, to accept that a crime has happened, then there has to be a form, some kind of compensation or reconciliation. Do you think that could be it? Do do I think do I think uh, compensation for for white supremacy is is that your question? No, I'm asking. I'm saying the reason why people are, um, you know, trying to how can I say um, erase history or not talk about history or talk about history that happened as it relates to racism and white white supremacy accurately is because. You know, the people who are subjugated and who are victims of the crime of white supremacy are still here. So they would have to be, to really, like, to really acknowledge that there would have to be some reconciliation or even some kind of compensation. Do you think that can be the reason why? Yeah, if I understand your question, you know, uh, correctly, yeah, I think that, that, um, so you you would advocate then it sounds like you would advocate some kind of compensation or reconciliation that's kind of where I think where you're going. Yeah. Oh no, no, that wasn't my question. Oh, I'll move on. Um, last question: Do you think that um, more interracial relationships will solve this problem? More um, sex between um, black and white people? Oh, I I don't know. And that that's yeah, that's not a question I've given a whole lot of thought to. Um and I, I really don't know. Um what do you think about that? Um No, I mean actually, you know, I'll ask you. I mean, I'll answer that question, but do you think that there's any evidence that, you know, after Plessy um the love case I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm kind of uh I kind of got the case wrong. But anyway, that, you know, the case after that was established where you can basically have same-sex marriages, do you think, have you seen any evidence that that has gotten us closer to ending the system of racism and white supremacy, marriage between the races? Oh, has interracial marriage being legal and so forth uh, gotten us closer to ending white supremacy? That That's where you're well, have you seen? Have you seen any evidence? Um, you know, I, I mean, that's an interesting question. I, I don't. Certainly, white supremacy is still, you know, in in intact, in and and obviously we've we have have had interracial marriage for quite some time. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, it had it would it would take just based on those two things. I mean, it would it would take considerably more than than uh you know allowing legally allowing or encouraging or whatever interracial marriage to to take down white supremacy i, I think that's clearly the case oh, okay to be accurate the case that i was talking about with loving the virginia versus virginia all right doctor thanks a lot okay thank you much obliged victim in new jersey uh our caller at five one three six Five one three six. Did you have a question for Doctor Neil Krause? She should be with us. Oh, yep. 
Yes, Gus, this big victim, Alabama, Alabama. Um, Roll Tide. Dr. Krause, Dr. Krause, I think you haven't been honest with us. You're a doctor. And all, from my comprehension of listening to Gus, you did. You you either ignored it, all that that um that um, guy that serial killer, or um you practicing racism. I really I, I believe you practicing racism for you to you, you or you just did some sloppy research. I think you're not being honest with us, and that's all I got to say. Thank you, Gus. Yeah, if I could just respond real quick, Gus. No, I was being entirely honest. I I wasn't familiar with that case, but the more you talked about it, I did recall some of it. I didn't study it and it, and it didn't come up in my book and I apologize for that. Much obliged, victim. Alabama comes up in that report uh, or that time period there were so many attacks I said there was a house select committee on Joseph G. Christopher he hadn't even been uh, named he hadn't even been indicted at the time but on the killings he was committing there was a house select committee one of the incidents was Atlanta one was Buffalo another was in Alabama uh, where they had attacks it was an elected official who was threatened and what have you (laughs) Man, 1980, terrorism all the way through. Much obliged caller in uh, Alabama. Uh, let's see, big victim. Let's see. Uh, person, I'm not sure. Caller at 8347. 8347 may have some relationship to our guest, Dr. Krause. 8347, did you have a question for Dr. Krause? Yes. Um Dr. Krause, your your book, as far as I understood, was about public policy and yeah. the decisions that were made in Buffalo. Um, I, I believe about an hour ago you said this wasn't accidental. Um, the fact that we have an east side of Buffalo was not accidental. These were deliberate decisions. In your research, did you um, observe other cities you know, comparable to Buffalo in terms of demographics or you know, economics, Rust Belt cities that had similar experiences, or was Buffalo unique in in what you what you uh, researched? Yeah. Um, no, that's a good question. No, no, Buffalo is not not unique. Um, and you know, in the research, I looked at books and articles on a bunch of other cities from Philadelphia and Boston. Um, other cities in the Midwest. Certainly there's a whole ton of stuff that's been done on Detroit. Um, and so, so no, the, the, the story I told is obviously unique to Buffalo because it's a, it's a history of, of Buffalo. But, you know, the conflicts over, you know, public housing from its inception and, uh, the, you know, the, segre- the intentional segregation of schools. I mean, this is something that happened in, in city after city in the in the north, I wasn't even looking at the south. Um, it's just that it it hasn't. You know, it, when I was doing the research in the '90s, that that it, that stuff, a lot of that research was just I think being done then. It was fairly recent, but by now there's a there's a ton of stuff out there that it's definitely not a unique story. 
Thank you. Thank you. John, person who called in, are you uh, classified as white? Person who dialed in? Uh, yes, I, yes, I am. Oh, okay. Well, quick, let me ask you before you depart. I enjoy asking any white person I get a chance. You are white. You're interested in information about racism, white supremacy. You've been around other people who are also classified as white. Have you, sir, seen any evidence that a substantial number of white people will voluntarily and permanently desist from the practice of white supremacy racism? Um, no, I, I, I'd have to say that I haven't seen any evidence of that, no. Very important. Much obliged, dear sir. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Let me get, if I could steal one more quick question. They said this before. Have, has Gusty, have, have I been rude, surly this evening in, in asking my question, sir? Oh, wait, are you asking me? You no, asking I was asking that? our caller. I was asking our caller. Oh, sorry. Um... I thought I thought uh, a couple of times you tended to put your uh, guest on the defensive a little bit, but I thought he handled it very gracefully. So, put him. What does that mean exactly? Can you break that down for us? Put him on the defensive. Um, just the um, the story about Mr. Christopher. Because as I understand it, and maybe I'm not getting it, um, our guest's book was about public policy. So it wasn't necessarily about crime. And I, I, t I think your point's well taken that uh, this would have been a, a major national or regional story. But uh, the... The book, I've read parts of the book, and it's very accessible, like the guest has said. Um, but there's so much there that it, it doesn't surprise me that it wasn't talking about crime, however heinous that crime incident was. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. That's all. Are you uh, related? Like, do you uh, know our guest personally, or are you all related in any way? Yes, I do. Oh, how so? What's your relationship to our guest? He, he is my brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's right on. At least that's great to know for a question like that. All righty. Much obliged. I even got to ask our caller a few questions. Much obliged, good sir. Thank you for being patient. He said I put him on the defensive. Well, uh, I staunchly disagree. Um, you know, I don't think I was rude about the Joseph G. Christopher. Uh, same thing I've said to any of our guests and I mean the book that we here are talking about the title again race neighborhoods and community power it's not public policy it's race neighborhoods and community power Buffalo politics 1934 to 1997 and I mean wow I cannot think I read this book cover to cover nothing in this book Tops Joseph G. Christopher and what happened, man? Psh. Now I get to play my other sound clip. We did have another caller. Everybody can pause for a moment. Uh, this one is short, but I mean, this is wise. What did I say? If we were in an academic setting, anybody submitted a report to me about 
anything with regards to Buffalo. Really, Buffalo, period. It wouldn't even have to be about racism. There is no way you can talk about Buffalo 1980s and not mention this case. This is why I could play a whole lot of things, but this is why just because this is a really short one that greatly emphasizes the money it touches on everything that I just said in the title of that book, race, neighborhoods and community power, Buffalo politics, 1934 to 1997. There has been stepped up violence against blacks in various parts of the country. In part one of this special report, we dealt with the murders and disappearance of 17 black children in Atlanta. This program probes a new twist in the violence against blacks. In December, six black men in New York City were stabbed in one day. Four died. Within a period of three weeks last fall, four blacks in Buffalo were shot in the head within 36 hours, and two black cab drivers were killed and their hearts were removed from their bodies. In January, two black men were stabbed to death in Buffalo and Rochester and three others were attacked. All of the victims were black men, and the attacker in all of the cases was described by police as a white male. I'm Tony Brown. In a moment, part two of, quote, Is There a National Conspiracy Against Black? When you talk to people on Jefferson Avenue, you get a range of reactions and a range of theories. But there's one common denominator. Everybody is angry. What have you found as you move around as a newspaper editor on the part of blacks? I mean, in addition to being afraid, which is understandable, uh, what do you find in terms of, of, of the mood? Well, not so much fear, Tony, as caution. There's never been a state of fear. There's never been a reign of fear in Buffalo, even at the height of the killings. If anything, people were ready to go to war. And the only thing that's kept the lid on Buffalo has been the weather. Had it been in the summer months, I really believe Buffalo would have exploded. And if, in fact, these killings continue into the summer or spring, I believe that Buffalo will explode. The police are not doing their job, you know, for a sake, you know, like, they don't have to worry about it. If this individual comes in this area or, you know, like, or anywhere in the vicinity, they don't have to worry about it because he will be taken care of. While tensions are mounting in Buffalo's black community. Angry, frustrated, unsafe. That's how residents living on the east side of Buffalo, New York, describe how they're feeling. It's been one month since a gunman opened fire at a grocery store there. A racist attack targeting black shoppers. Ten people were killed. The community is coping with tragedy, but also the very practical loss of that tops friendly market, which remains closed for now. The 18-year-old man accused of killing 10 black people at a Buffalo grocery store was in court today. He entered a not guilty plea on charges of domestic terrorism and first-degree murder. In addition to the fiery criticism the district attorney was taking from black leaders, his office also heard from citizens who were outraged over the investigation for starkly different reasons. 
he received complaints from people who felt that too much time and resources were being consumed by the probe. A few were blatantly hateful. One particularly virulent letter read, in part, What is the matter with the people of Buffalo? Five members of the despicable nigger race are killed and the town goes absolutely schizophrenic. I didn't see the town declare Unity Day for the multitude of white cops murdered by niggers and all the elderly couples and singles beaten or robbed by niggers, including me. Damn them. Let them know the fear we've experienced for years at their hands. I am seeing, along with a large number of others, a sad case of nigger coddling. Reverse discriminatory treatment. I hope he gets 20 more before you catch him. It'll make life a lot more bearable for all of us. Rick James, one of Buffalo's favorite sons, he said one thing about the ghetto. You don't have to hurry. It'll be bad tomorrow. Brother, don't you worry. That last portion from was from Catherine Pellinero's book that we're reading in the book club, Absolute Madness. Now, again, the title of the book we're reading, Race, Neighborhoods, and Community Power. Now, you had black people complaining. The district attorney, Ed Cosgrove at the time, you're not doing enough to solve this problem. We don't trust the police. That's exactly the title of the book, Neighborhoods, Community Power, even some of the theory some of these killings were happening in the white suburbs and some people thought hey he's attacking black people who are being uppity and getting out of their locked in neighborhood of Buffalo race and neighborhood and even community power I said at the beginning it should be white community if you have a community this sort of thing doesn't happen to you no event like what happened right here, maybe except for the most recent shooting. Galv, I mean, crystallizes. You don't have a community. This, in fact, this sort of event can happen and be totally erased where nobody even remains. In fact, people write history books about Buffalo and racism and this period of time, and it doesn't even get a footnote that's why I say it's that important you say it's putting him on the defensive well I don't know what the question I thought was was I rude but either way it is that important it's the same thing I've said to every guest uh, you do work on Buffalo and racism Joseph G. Christopher isn't mentioned <sighs> shouldn't even be too automatic F and it's everything that you touched on in the title unless I am in error. Anywho, uh, we touched on so much. Uh, I had other portions from the book that I wanted to discuss, uh, but he had other folks who dialed it and all the rest of it. I w one that I cannot fast forward on because it's come up so much. Dr. Krauss, whom do you think is more informed? about what racism is and how it works meaning the details in fact this was I thought fascinating to give context is with this question who is more informed I mentioned the word deliberate it's in your book almost a dozen times the word study 
is in your book 56 times. Studies about racism in Buffalo and housing, studies about discrimination, the Kerner Report, studies that 56 times. Context. The question, whom do you think is more informed about racism, white supremacy, what it is, the daily dynamics, how it operates in all areas of people activity? Do you think it's individuals classified as white or individuals classified as not white? Well, informed about the dynamics of racism? Yes, in terms of what it is, how it works. Yeah, well, certainly individuals classified who are are not white. Hmm. Based on, on what evidence? What evidence shows you that the people who are not white are more informed about what racism is and how it works? Well... Because blacks experience racism daily, and an awful lot of whites still deny racism. And so, you know, I think that that's a fairly straightforward answer. Is this a trick question? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what a trick question is. Like I. <laughs> I'm trying to get serious. I'm trying to solve a problem. Like I, I don't, I don't know whether. No, trick- no, I, I, I yeah. Okay. No, I hear you. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that seems like an obvious question to me. That's why I asked that. If it's a trick question, I mean, I, you know, it, it. A lot of the white folks I know of different income levels and education levels and all the rest of it are not, you know, not necessarily willing to concede a whole lot of racism in the first place. So, I mean, I think that's a fairly straightforward question. Hmm. Okay. Definitely not a trick question, sir. Not, not trying, no gotcha, none of that. <laughs> Serious, trying to get an answer. Okay. Non-white people more informed. But uh, you, sir, are classified as white and you teach about race. You've written uh, a whole book about racism in Buffalo. You, sir, are informed about racism, white supremacy, even though you have not experienced it as a victim, Correct. That well, no, I have not. You're right, and I, I'd like to think so, at least somewhat. Yes, that okay. I'm informed, at least somewhat. Okay. Ah, uh, made me go out of order. I lost my place. That's stu- again. I just have to say that again. The word "study" is in your book fifty-six times. I don't know for sure. But I suspect it was not non-white people commissioning, conducting 56 different studies throughout the history of Buffalo. It seemed like it was a lot of white people doing these studies, unless I'm in error. And you wrote the book. You talked about, wrote about these different studies. Did you see evidence of a lot of white people conducting studies about racism in Buffalo? Well, I mean, the earlier the early chapters talk about the, you know, the Urban League in the 30s and 40s doing quite a bit of of primary research and and on what the city was doing, uh, the Buffalo branch of the Urban League. Uh, there were some other groups 
and individuals who who were you know who were not white who were African Americans that did some of the research. But I think you know I think if we went through the whole bibliography, I think the vast majority would be uh, uh, you know works written by whites. Hmm. Context, context. Just point that out. Uh, our caller trick. Qu- I'm gonna have to remember that. I don't even. Someone asked me about doing trick question before. That is, I have to put that down in my notebook. I don't think I've ever had a guest. Uh, so you trying to trick me, <laughs> man? Uh, our, our caller, retired firefighter in Florida. Did you have a question for Dr. Krause? Uh, yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, I apologize if if I'm off if I'm off. Uh, topic, uh, but I would like to start asking uh, white people this question until she either is dead or arrested. Uh, sir, do you think Carolyn Bryant should be served with a warrant for her arrest? Carolyn Bryant? Yes, sir. I'm not familiar with with Carolyn Bryan. I'd have to get some more information about her. Are you familiar with Emmett Till? Yes. Okay, Carolyn Bryant was the white woman that uh, was the uh, subject of what caused Emmett Till's brutal death, kidnapping and his death. I see. Do you think I that she should name. be served? Do you, do you think her a warrant should be served to her for her for her arrest? I you know I'm not an expert on the Till case. I I, I don't know. You don't have to be. Well, I don't know the details. I know that to my recollection of the Till case, which I've not read about in many years, is I believe she's the woman that that Till allegedly looked at or said something to? That's correct. That's correct, sir. Okay. So then, I and then basically, did I don't did she call the police or did somebody, I, I don't even know the details of that without, you know, without diving back into that stuff. If, you know, did she call the police or did somebody else and then before one thing led to another and there's, sort of vigilante justice tracking Emmett Till down because of what she was I in heard. the car and fingered Emmett Till when they kidnapped him. She, she was in the car? And also there was a warrant for her arrest that was just recovered a few days ago. Okay. A few days ago and uh there has been uh, a lot of uh, talk on whether or not she's still alive, and there's been a lot of talk on whether or not she should still, that warrant should be activated and uh, served for her arrest. She's still alive. She is still alive. Um well, I su- you know, I suppose, yeah. If, if there was a warrant issued for her arrest and she's still alive, I don't, I don't know the criminal statutes of, you know, various states, but it would seem to me she should be. 
the other the other uh, white person that's on the program that's involved in the program can also answer the question. I would like to hear his his uh, answers also. I don't know who that is. Is that is there somebody else? I think he means your brother. No, no, his I'm brother sorry. might have uh, dropped from the the call. I don't see him on the switchboard, so he might just oh, be listening. Oh. So you think she should be arrested? I think if the, I, again, I'm assuming the facts you're saying are correct. I don't know the details of this case. I, you know, I I know uh, my knowledge of the Emmett Till case goes back 25 years, and I've not kept up on it. But if she, if if what you're saying is correct, and she and a warrant were issued to her, and it was just discovered, and she's still alive, then I can't imagine why she should not be. And you are a historian? I'm a political scientist. Political scientist. Mm-hmm. Do, do, complete, do political sciences, scientists uh, research history? They do. Okay. You do write about racism? I, I have, yes. Okay. That's all good. Big subject. There's a lot. I'm of sure it is. American history, but I, I didn't. I didn't ask you about all history. <laughs> I no, was specific I on. There's a lot of racism. I, I was specific on what history that I asked you about. Right. No, I was specific on what history I was asking you about. No, I, I understand that, and I'm just saying that there's and uh, and what all, what all of us have been asking you about is history on racism, white supremacy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm aware that history is big and broad, but we did narrow it down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. I think we nabbed all of our callers. Uh, before we let you enjoy the rest of your, I guess, holiday Sunday evening or whatever it is, I have a compensatory investment request. Uh, I think that the Joseph G. Christopher uh, murders case is so important. Uh, I would like to go to Buffalo uh, to get even more information about this case. As I said, I think it is it's beyond just a travesty. I've said consistently this is a major act of white supremacy racism by white mainstream media, if that's a term you want to use, so-called, in this case, not being talked about. Like with what happened with Peyton Gendron, it should be this happened again. Christopher's attacks started at an East Buffalo Tops grocery store. That sort of erasure, like I said, right to the heart of your book, you don't have a community. And wait a minute. Why do these events, meaning white people specifically coming to Buffalo to kill black people, even why does that continue to happen? That's why this case is super important, would have been important even if Peyton Gendron hadn't happened. But I mean, really, to have this sort of thing happen again and even no mention there. Anyway, my compensatory 
investment request, Dr. Krause, would you be willing to provide me with round trip travel and lodging for two weeks of research in Buffalo? I think this case warrants study and research two weeks of hanging out. I think that's kind of meager. Is that something you'd be willing to provide for Gus T two weeks of research, lodging air travel so I can research in Buffalo? Would I be willing to provide that for you? Yes, sir. That's the question. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm a little confused by your question. I have a hard enough time funding my own research. <laughs> You're a white person. I think you all have access to. I mean, that's not like a, a house or, or what have you. Is that something you can you're willing to work on, getting lodging, air travel for two weeks of research in Buffalo? For 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 you? Yes, for me. A- am I willing to work on it for you? I mean, I'm 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 just kind of confused by the question. What's confusing about that? somebody you know uh, i've enjoyed being on your program i i mean that i i don't i don't quite follow the the question i mean i'm writing my third book now and i've spent four or five years and immersed in my own research and and funding all of it on my own i'm a little confused by your question when you say you're, con- what do- is it something that you don't understand about the question, or was it that you are confused about specifically? That you're asking me for several thousand dollars at least to go do research on on this topic. I mean, it's- what I think it's pretty straightforward. My confusion. I don't understand what's confusing about. It. Do you think that's something that should not be done? Research on this? No, sure it should. There's oh, okay. tons of stuff that should be done. Okay, okay. Yeah, so absolutely. Is it just that you don't want to fund me being able to do this research? I, you know, I, I, I don't want to fund you. That's not the. That's not the point. The, you know, the point is if if, if somebody's going to do the research, and I know this as a as a researcher myself, then you got to kind of find the funds to do it well that's what i'm doing that's why i'm making a compensatory investment request right now if you if the answer is no that's fine too like it's not that big a deal that's why i don't understand what's confusing about it because you could just as i've said before say no and we could move on that would be fine right well i thought it was a trick question again to be honest <laughs> we don't do trick qu- what do you t- i've said that now see now i suspect that you're practicing racism white supremacy deliberately i already told you I'm not in the trick question, sir. I'm trying to solve a problem. Right now, I'm being very specific. I'm trying to go to Buffalo to do research for two weeks. So either it's yes or no. Either you're willing to compensatory investment request. Yes or no. No trick question, sir. I'm unable to do that, no. Could have said that 30 seconds ago and saved time. Let's see. Uh, Did we miss any of the folks who dialed in make sure they get there it seems like your brother might have dialed back in i don't know if he had a, a question before i was about to have you depart but he dialed back in i didn't know did you have anything else that you wanted to get in brother of dr neil kraus no i just wanted to uh credit you as is a very interesting show so i appreciated hearing it and hearing the dialogue and uh listening to the information 
Mm. All right. Well, hey, at least I can ask. Hey, you are also a white person. I'll make my compensatory investment request again. No tricks. You, sir, would you be willing to provide me round trip air travel and lodging for two weeks of research in Buffalo? Joseph G. Christopher. This is something that I think is very important enough to put a white person on the defensive important. I would love to, but I'm unable to do that, unfortunately. Unfortunate, but much more efficient second time around. Right on, sir. Did you, I forgot, retired firefighter did ask a question where he said you could respond, but I don't remember what his question was. Like, uh, we'll make that our last, Re- repeat the, the question, sir, since he did dial back. I don't remember what it was. What was your question that she said his, his brother, his brother could ask his answer as well? Uh, yes. Do you think uh, Carolyn Bryant's warrant for her arrest should be reactivated? Carolyn Bryant is the white woman that uh, was involved uh, by uh, fingering uh, Emmett Till uh, that resulted into his murder. He, she was in the car when they went to accost Emmett Till and she fingered him lying that he whistled at her or whatever. And there was a warrant for her arrest that was not served. The warrant was found. Do you think that that warrant should be reactivated and served for her arrest? Um, again, I'm I'm not an expert on uh, laws in that state, but if the warrant, you know, if no statute of limitations is expired and the warrant can legally be reactivated, it absolutely should. And if it shouldn't, someone should, you know, look at the look into the law. Thank you for your answer, sir. Much obliged, much obliged, uh, Doctor Neil Krause's brother. Uh, you dialed back in so we could get a few extra questions in to give his con- interesting program. He said, "Much obliged, sir, for tuning in, hanging out with us." Uh, now, can let Doctor Neil Krause enjoy the rest of his holiday Sunday evening. Uh, we have been chatting it up about his uh, book, "Race, Neighborhoods, and Community Power: Buffalo Politics, 1935 to 1997 see even that one even the brother I would say that right there public policy is nowhere mentioned in the title he said he had that's another last time I got to say that I said we have non-white people who dial in and say Gusty you don't know what you're talking about with regards to a book that they haven't read his brother didn't say he read the whole book I read the whole book I see many many access points where Joseph G. Christopher would have fit right there, right there, right there, right there. Super important. I will get to but let's go, Buffalo. Gonna get there. Uh again, much obliged, Dr. Uh Neil Krauss. Enjoy the lots of information to help understand the how did we get to May 14, 2022, Peyton Gendron 
lots of information to help you understand how we end up at that point. Much obliged for your time and energy, Dr. Uh, Neil Krauser. All right. Thanks so much for having me. For sure. For sure. Context of white supremacy. Uh, we'll take a quick break uh, here. Folks have thoughts they would like to share for the broadcast wrap up and then give the reminder, the book club that we are reading absolute madness. We heard that was the snippet uh, where you had people writing in right to the core of the book, writing in and saying, Hey, we're spending too much tax dollars on these niggers being killed. Those, I hope he kills 20 more. That's the book that we're, and I think that was just from, what was that like last week? I said, we've read only about half of the book. Killer hasn't even been indicted at this point where we're at in the book. Everybody, if regards to non-white people, if you live in the U.S., you should know about this case. If you know about what happened in Buffalo in May of 2022, you should know Joseph G. Christopher. If you have any connections to New York State at all, you should know Joseph G. Christopher. That is totally unaccessible, especially you, you know, were so-called born New York State, lived there for some time period, have family, relatives or what have, especially you lived there during this time period. You have to know about this case. give you a much better understanding of racism, white supremacy, and especially when you get into the details and say, oh man, this case could have been solved immediately, but you had so many instances where white pe- the white community members didn't identify the killer to the police. In fact, white community said they felt that sense of community when they saw the killer that was what the witness said Madonna Gorney she said that at the tops in East Buffalo September 1980 all these niggers around here and then she saw Joey said oh thought I was going to be raped for a minute thank God there's a white man didn't even tell the police about him. And this happened over. And it even had some white people who the police concluded were deliberately. That's how they were practicing their membership in the white community. They said, I'm not even going to tell them that it was a white man. I said, oh, no, no, I think he might have been uh, Puerto Rican, you know, or Arab. I don't Oh, Caribbean? I'm not even sure. You know, it's kind of dark outside and everything. The police concluded, I think this fella is lying to us. Kenneth Paulson, I think this fella is lying to us. I think he doesn't want to tell us that it was a white man. We got, we stopped almost right at the point. I think two weeks ago, we did stop at the point where they said, man, if the white people had just told us immediately, oh, is that white dude? We could have solved this case way back when. We would have had all these black people still alive. Yeah. That right, everything that I just mentioned, the title of race, neighborhoods, and community power. 
Buffalo Politics. 1980-81 was Joseph G. Christopher, and nobody even remembers. Any hoodle, we will take a quick break. Uh, be back context of white supremacy. Mm, reading more important than watching television. And from the late 1960s, after the death of Martin Luther King and the riots and the upheavals and all like this, and black people with their fists in there and all like that and trying to stumble and fumble and find their way and get focus, the white supremacists made a blueprint and put it in action. And that is, I'm going to have these people so confused, they don't even know what they started out to do. And by the late 1970s, they had just about completed it. And we've been on that ever since. And you mentioned something very important. They are more comfortable than ever. But see, it's like making gorillas comfortable in a cage or monkeys or pandas. You still got them in a cage, but they're comfortable. See, so give him some bling bling. It's like giving an animal a brand new car and training the animal to ride up and down the street in it. And then you stand back and point at the animal. Like one white man said in the late 1950s, he said he doesn't care what kind of car a Negro has. He said he's still a nigger. And when he rides by in a shiny car, to him, it's just a monkey in a car. White people built a car, put a monkey in it, trained the monkey to drive the car, so now you're looking at a monkey in a car. See, but black people don't see themselves that way. But this is how the white supremacists see us, and they are the ones who run our business. And we have to know that, that when they look at us, that's what they see. That that's what they see. That that's what they see. And at a subliminal level, what they see begins to spill over into our brains so that we, at a subliminal level, see each other that way. And indirectly see ourselves that way. Context of white supremacy. Thursday for the book club. Rick James. Rick James almost going to be the Rick James book club. Instead, it was the Catherine Massey book club, making sure to do our meager part to remember some of the victims of the Buffalo massacre. Uh, since that happens as a part of white supremacy, racism, the Catherine Massey book club at the cows. Uh, we were reading absolute madness, Joseph G Christopher. So important. Uh, I mean, it reveals so much about white supremacy, racism, what it means to be white. Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Anywho, um, always enjoy having white guests on the program, and especially now, like, oh my goodness, man, I didn't even know that they had a section in the Buffalo Library 
on racism, white words, not racism. They do have that too. But I didn't know that they had a section on Buffalo specifically. I never cared about Buffalo. Sorry if we have any folks who reside in the area who, you know, listen, live archive, whatever it is. But I never cared about Buffalo. I never had any interest in learning about Buffalo or going. I think the closest that I got was in the book club when we read Tubin's book, Run of His Life, Orenthal James. That is about it. That is the only time that I read any information about Buffalo. And even then, it was very brief. O.J. Simpson centered. Just this. I have learned so much, like even some of the books that he had in the reference section, talking about Dr. Krauss, already had those books. Had already read some of them on there. I think even Dr. Lay's book is there, interviewed some of the people. I was like, man, even from like, and I mean, in a short period of time, whew, Buffalo is going to be an area. Wow. I will be able to talk about with some expertise, detailed experts like the uh, I didn't even get to talk about the riot section because like I had the whole book there because uh, I was going to talk about like, man, there are some extraordinary passages in that book that you didn't even include that where they talk the same sentiment that you heard uh, where the white person wrote that letter talking about that. I hope the 22 caliber killer kills like 20 more black people white people express the exact same sentiment after the 1967 riot in Buffalo uh, where you had a white construction worker uh, told an interviewer said I think what to do is to give machine guns to all of the national guards and just kill all the niggers and then we'll have no more nigger problem and I mean went into detail about all of this what does it mean to be white but I mean thorough like oh my goodness like I hope it'll be work to see if we can talk to more people uh, about Buffalo and Buffalo's history and all of that one because I think this is super important I think that's one way to make sure that people do not forget oh yeah that did just happen a few weeks ago why did that happen what does this reveal about what it means to be white and why you can expect more of these events as long as the system of white supremacy exists. Anyway, that is too fascinating. I'm so glad that I asked that question about for his brother. Even that man, I don't know that we've had that before as many white. I mean, we've been on the air for 13 plus years. I'm not sure if we've had a white person's like relative like immediate route, like a sibling or something or a spouse or something, uh, dial in hand star six, one, like put a hand up to participate in the program. Like I do not recall that ever happening. I might be an error. I'll have to think if someone, you know, recalls a time where that happened, but I, I don't even really recall, uh, times where, uh, non-white people had, you know, their relatives and siblings and things dial in to, you know, ask them a, a easy question or give support or what have you like. <sighs> hmm. Hmm. Oh, I guess we did have a white woman. I think uh, Ashley 
something Ashley. I have to go back to get her her name. I think we did have a white woman on the program before where her like uh I don't know what you call him, sexual partner, non white cowbell, non white male, I think he did uh actually get on the line to support that type of thing. He was actively listening to the program and then got on the line as well for a little while, but hmm. That is yeah, that is I have to that is noteworthy. Um, mm, yeah, that is noteworthy. And the part about on the def- like, I have to, yeah, I have to think about that. I'd even have to go back to to listen because I don't think I called him any names or anything of of that nature. Um, yeah, even in fact, I totally agree with the logic of the big victim in African. Uh, excuse me, big victim in Alabama. I'm like African. Big victim in Alabama. Mm. Uh, in turn, I mean, hey, now he did admit that he, you know, he did remember these events. Uh, he just, you know, hadn't done the research or what have you. Man, ignorant, deliberate omission. Neither is acceptable. Same thing, and I think that's how I've phrased it before. Ignorant. Sloppy, what is sloppy historian? And I mean, wee. That's why I said, like, you might have to get an F. <laughs> like anybody, you write a book that is about racism in Buffalo, 1980s, and you don't even get a paragraph in the book about Joseph G. Christopher. This case went on for years. They didn't even catch him for like a half a year. F. I didn't even say F. I wasn't even. I was thinking about it. I said that on Saturday, like man, because this book does have a lot of constructive information about you know why. Why did this happen, Peyton Jenner? How could you reliably predict? Just go by the zip code. Oh yeah, it's gonna be lots of niggers piled up here that I can just go slaughter, slaughter by the barrels, literally. This book will help you understand that, but I mean, either this is deliberate. Re- which does happen frequently in the system of white supremacy and especially with a case like this where there is a great deal of black counter violence oh yeah cases like that we are not going to talk about that at all even though it was widely reported at the time i'm Gus T, I keep saying this. People who said, well, they don't know about this because it wasn't reported. That is wrong. I am on the opposite continent with no research staff to go out and find this and do that and do that. I have collected well over 200 different articles and I don't even have repeats. Well over 200. Books, articles, videos I didn't even get the Nightline footage of that they had the Cynthia Wiggins case on Nightline the Joseph G Christopher case was on Nightline big victim in Alabama like you gotta tell me one one or the other either F as a historian you get an F everybody that writes about Buffalo racism history you talk about the 1980s and you don't include Joseph G Christopher Either you're a sloppy, lame historian and, you know, whatever. I just kind of slapdash this together and didn't look that cool in the gang. Fine. Or you are deliberately practicing racism. You don't want to talk about this event. This is not some, oh, this is I just 
you you wouldn't even have to go look at the New York Times. You could just look at local Buffalo press clippings. You would have dozens. The Buffalo News, the Courier, Buffalo Criterion, Buffalo Challenger, just those four publications alone. I'm not even including the New York Times. Just those four. You would have years worth of reporting. The Klan marches in downtown Buffalo on Dr. King's holiday. 5,000 rally in October for Unity Day. White man killed by black people. White people's vehicles pelted with vehicle with cars. Uh, the mayor comes out. Talking, we didn't do all this when black people were killing uh, white police officers and raping white man and jesse jackson comes to town george hw bush comes to town the senate ho- man how do you miss all of that and or minimize the import which is where we come back to the race and have you say that that's not you know and eh, it's not a big deal not acceptable at all. That's all I can conclude. You are not an A plus historian. Like I said, automatic F anything. His brother, if he hadn't called in and said that, I was kind of lean like, yeah, maybe it's just a two letter. Nope, nope, nope. F. You write anything about Buffalo, racism, and it includes the 1980s. You're like, fine. You write about the 1920s? Okay. You're not talking about that period. But you get to the 1980s. And you don't include Joseph G. Christopher. I'm a lame researcher. Yeah, I just kind of nibbled and dabbled and, you know, whatever. Wrote what I felt like, whatever came to mind, whatever I could find on uh, Wikipedia. I'm not being flippant. That is how important this. Ca- how many ca- did they have a house select committee on anything else that's happened in Buffalo in the last 40 years where Buffalo was a major part of this and racism, white supremacy killings of black males. Hugely important. And I keep in, it didn't even set in on me. It took a while for me to even like process I did look. I was thinking that, man, Gusty, you are a lazy, lame. No, I have a history degree, right? It's like, man, you should know about it. If anybody should know about this case, you should. You have a history degree. The caller asked me yesterday, Gus, I haven't heard anybody else talk about Joseph G. Christopher. How do you know about this case? I should have started and said, hey, uh, Dr. Krause said he's a political scientist. I have a history degree. I'm supposed to know about this. History is broad. You don't know about everything, but I mean, hey, this is your area. This is Gus T's area of study, racism, white supremacy, especially U.S. focus. You should know about I should know about this, right? I remember I told him I know about this because I read the list by Chet Detlinger, uh, co-author. He was a guest on the program 2009 and uh, the Atlanta child war. Yeah. The Atlanta, the Atlanta youth murders and the politics of race. I read that book as well. The Buffalo killings are mentioned there. Also the Atlanta murders and the Buffalo killings concurrent, right? Uh, I remember 
reading the and they're not like huge it's not a whole chapter but I mean it's enough detail like whoa killing all these black people and cutting their hearts out with the world I remember looking about this case briefly not a researcher but briefly looking I couldn't find very much detail I should have gone to the university like that's what I didn't do I should have gone to the university library and then I could have you know read for days but at that time none of the books that we have talked about over the last month none of those books existed for a long time there were no books on this subject matter then the only book that existed for some time was Dr. Dobson's fictional book now that is historical fiction he does have actual news titles and what have you about Joseph G. Christopher but it's fiction for uh, not until 2014 was there a nonfiction book and now there are two the one we're reading in the book club was 2017 but these events happened over 40 years ago and it took 30 years before there was even one book published about these events and it was fiction I didn't even process that for like if it's exactly what Dr. Dobson said who wrote that first book for a long time it was only his book if these had been white people and someone was going around cutting the hearts out of white males or white women or whatever and this went on for months this would have been Lifetime A&E Showtime HBO Netflix Amazon Stream books Oprah book club like you would know there is no way we would be piling up white guests who have taught in Buffalo written books on the history of Buffalo and it's no mention at all by take your pick ignorance racism pick one it's now there's no other option here it's nothing else if you can think of another logical option dial in and let me know star six one but I can't think of anything else ignorance racism this wouldn't keep happening. Even non-white people would know. Oh my God. Did you hear? Someone was hacking up little blonde women and cutting out their hearts. Oh my God. The Buffalo Bills. They would have had decals on their helmets and everything. That is the value of black life right there. And I'm totally, totally every day, all day. And especially on a holiday, July 4th, for sure. I am extra okay with a white person feeling defensive, probably because most white people don't get questioned about that. I wish I had asked that. Has anybody ever asked you before? Like, dang, you wrote this whole book about this time period and you didn't discuss Joseph Christopher. Has anyone ever brought that up to you before? My bad. I should have asked that question because I mean, man, that is how little black life matters. Like, yeah, yeah. I can't even put that in perspective. <laughs> like, if do people do that? Do people write books about like Milwaukee? Let me think for example. So, if somebody wrote a book about Milwaukee history in the 1990s, could they write that book and not talk about Jeffrey Dahmer? Like, is that possible? I'm being ignorant. You can let me know if I'm being ignorant. I'm supposed to be following logic. Is that possible? If somebody did do that, what would you conclude? They did great research on what was happening in Milwaukee in the 90s.
if they wrote a book and they said they were going to discuss Atlanta history in the 1980s and they totally omitted the Atlanta child murders, what would you conclude? Especially if it's a white person, what would you conclude? Like I said, even a non-white person, I would think the same thing. Like, man, did they do a sloppy job researching this? Was this willful? They were, you know, did they get told not to talk about this? Who knows? I submit this is super important. He has a lot of constructive information. The words are so important. I would have raised that, but we had so many things to talk about. He mentioned systems of oppression. We do not have systems. He mentioned white racism uh, and he said segregation as well. He mentions that in the book. Even just with those first two, we do not have systems of oppression. That's much like systemic racism, system of white supremacy. There is nothing like it, not even close. Anywhere in the known universe, nothing like it. That right there, suspicious every time. And white racism, I think, is important. I don't say white racism. He was the only one using that term uh, on the program. I point that out as significant because I recommend not using it because you have so many non-white people who are confused about racism. Just saying white racism suggests for many confused victims that there's a such a thing as black racism. And that does get said from time to time. If you say white supremacy racism or even just white supremacy, the brain does not compute black supremacy. That doesn't happen. I don't hear that get talked about seriously at all. Like I don't have to joust with non-white people like there's no such thing as black. Like I, I've never had to do that. If someone even raised that as a serious measure, I would have to look at them curiously. But that doesn't happen. Black racism will pop up if you're saying white racism, white racism. So I recommend not using that term. It is white supremacy. And then you can hyphen with the racism slash racism. Anywho, um, is there anything else? Get in that more con- <laughs> that more confused, especially because he said trick question again. I have can only conclude. Wow. This must be really important and it's attached to so many of the lies, really pivotal lies in the system of white supremacy racism that non-white people are experts. I keep saying, hey, if all the non-white people think that they're experts, they will not stop and say, hey, wait a minute. We have got to be really ignorant about this problem because we haven't solved it yet. You demonstrate that you are a genius. You demonstrate your expertise by solving problems. We haven't done that. Convincing non-white people victims of, oh no, you're already a PhD expert. The word study is in his book 56 times. Joseph Christopher is in there zero, but study is in there 56 times. I do like ebooks for that reason. Like, woo, you'd have to go through and count. Like, who's going to do that? Not Gus T. That he said, and even that in his response, he started with all that nonsense about the Urban League and Mary Man. And then at the end, he said, well, you know, 
most of the studies I would say were conducted by white people. Say that at the front, man. If most of the studies are done by white people, then that means you probably have a substantial chunk of white people who are not ignorant about racism. No, they didn't experience being called a nigger. No, they didn't experience growing up next to Rick James, the east side of Buffalo, lame area, right? They didn't experience that, but they have studied the Negro. Fifty-six times. I kept study. I was going to say that. Anna Blotto, the same thing. That white woman, 25 years old, she was on the program. She did that graduate study 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 they have so many studies because buffalo was an area where they had black migration and particularly after world war ii during world war ii and so they study the negra more negras are coming what are we going to do where are we going to warehouse them what are we going to do we'll have to have a study Mm, a think tank Mm. he conceded quicker than dr lay hey you haven't experienced racism, but you're informed. He didn't exactly stick his chest out on that and say, exactly, darn tootin' Gus, I'm a super expert. He didn't exactly say it that way, but we did get a yes. Let's see. Uh, the folks who dialed in, did y'all have commentary that you wanted to get in? Uh, retired firefighter. Oh, if you're just listening, that's fine too. Just checking to see if folks had thoughts they wanted to get in before we wrap things up. Uh, Gus, do, do you think my uh, subject was off course, way off course? Mm, off course might be a metaphor. Um, I don't think it's anything incorrect about. Uh, I think Emmett Till is a pretty widespread or a pretty well-known subject, I think. And especially he's, you know, well, he's not a teenager. Uh, he's a white man and uh, has a doctorate degree and writes about history. So I, I think he uh, knew some of the details about Emmett Till. I'm sure this was not the first time that he's heard about the case. And even more specifically, this case has been in the news quite a bit over the past five days I'll say Um, white dominated media outlets the New York Times and CBS and other outlets where you know you would see this if you're a white man you're you know an academian professor uh, I suspect you would have seen oh wow like warrant found for her arrest in Mississippi 1955 wow that's no statute of limitations like you'd have seen that even if you missed that you would know about the case so I don't think it's anything incorrect about asking uh, it's current event. What's in, what's incorrect about asking about a, a, a very uh, current event and an important case. One of the most important cases. I think many people would say in the last hundred years in this part of the world. Yes. I, I just thought also that he was uh, intentionally being ignorant to it. Uh, I think the same way you do that's That's a very popular, uh, subject this week alone let alone talking about the history behind it uh 
you know, uh, especially for someone who uh, calls himself a uh, a uh, historian and a political political science uh, master. Much obliged, uh, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, yeah, I would I, all logical to me. Uh, I think I've said for years, just hey, we are. I did ask Dr. Krause at the beginning, is it logical to be suspicious of individuals classified as white? And he said yes, given the history. Uh, and I would say, hey, this is a case that I think, like I said, he did know some of the details about it. It is so well known, so important. I don't see anything incorrect about asking about it. And again, this is very current. Like this has been talked about a lot uh, in, you know, many uh, so-called mainstream media outlets. Uh, Maybe he saw it. Maybe he didn't. Even if he didn't, it would still be very reasonable uh, to ask about. That's not, you know, some obscure bit of, you know, wacky uh, history or some have you. Not a trick question. (laughs) Use his verbiage. Not a trick question at all. Uh, Yeah, I think that would be an easy one. And one that people should be talking about, in fact. That's another one right up there with Joseph G. Christopher and making sure that that is not forgotten. Like, oh yeah, that white woman is still alive. And there is evidence that she participated in this murder. Accomplice as they say. No statute of limitations. Let's get to it. Like, And particularly getting white people because they have more power. That's right in the title of the book that we uh, discussed. Race, neighborhoods, and community power. I said it should be white community power. They are the ones who could get this resolved quickly. Wouldn't just have to sit around like, hey, get it just like with those Nazis. Get out there with those handcuffs and drag her right on to the jail. Let's get it rolling right for that we can really get some fireworks celebration for that like right on let's get her held accountable as they say anywho uh much obliged for folks tuning in hopefully it was worthy of their time and energy this holiday weekend give my psa again sobriety would be best especially uh really uh probably through next weekend uh if you have to participate barbecues cookouts whatever it is uh reunion hopefully it'll be constructive investment of your time and no consumption of you know narcotics whatever it is if you have to have a taste of whatever stay put you make that plan in advance wherever i'm at this is where i'm going to be until the next day that way you can depart in the morning maybe even early afternoon great night of rest totally sober drive safely back to your destination expect sobriety checkpoints especially if you live in the east side where the non-white people are warehoused not a community expect they might have sobriety checkpoints you don't have power so you definitely want to be sober I would still be nervous about a checkpoint but you know hey. anywho uh, sobriety would be best be safe then fire, fire safety my goodness uh, if you got to do the fireworks and all of that and Anywho, uh, we'll be here Thursday for the book club, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Listener-supported counter-racist radio. Invest if you think the program is constructive. Uh, With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient 
with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling no reckless production of offspring reading is way more important than watching television white people are not ignorant about racism Mm. cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.